Hi there, welcome, and thank you for tuning in. My name is Jason Shoulder, and this is Learning to Fail. People are complicated. I meet a lot of complicated people. My guest today is David Lurie. David is a native Asheville yoga teacher gone rogue. He lives an amazing life. Having grown up in this small mountain town and leaving just before it became Manhattan's sixth borough, David lives on an island in Spain, he's married to a beautiful Swiss woman, and together they travel the world playing music and teaching yoga. It's always great meeting someone who's living his dream. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to express my gratitude to all of you who are listening. Your letters, your comments, and your donations are deeply appreciated. Thank you for being so supportive. When I launched this podcast, I had no idea if anyone other than my mother would actually listen. It turns out I have more mothers than I thought. So keep tuning in and keep telling other people. If you haven't already done so, please rate and review us on iTunes. This is the number one way you can help us grow our audience. Let the world know what you think about learning to fail. You'd be amazed at how much they value your opinion. Make sure you check out our website, ltfpod.com. Every episode has its own page, and we love reading your comments. While you're there, please visit our Donate and Amazon pages. Anything you can give will only help us grow. But as always, the most helpful thing you can do is simply to listen to the podcast and encourage others to do the same. The more of us out there learning to fail, the sooner we'll all succeed. Let's tune in now to my interview with David Lurie. My favorite thing about David is his willingness to learn, a willingness that I believe enables him to thrive. Tell me about your podcast. So, do I get to interview you first? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, no one ever does that. So, you know, I feel so left out of my own podcast. Um, it's called Learning to Fail, mm-hmm. which is a concept uh, that I was first introduced to through comedy, actually. Um, I, you know, the idea of going on stage and screwing up for the first several years mm-hmm. and, you know, learning how to fail and how to deal with failure and everything. Um, and then ultimately, you know, power through it to a point that you succeed. But, you know, I talk to comics who have been doing it for years and they still have sets where they bomb. Right. So you know? failure in, in this context would be mm, nobody laughs at your jokes. You feel awkward on stage because you've made some uncomfortable things. Like what constitutes failure for a comic? A comic? I mean, anytime they don't laugh when anytime, they're supposed okay. to. Okay. Yes, yes, you yes. Know? Okay. I mean, right. I mean, they might not laugh once or twice. You like you're always working out material. Some groups respond better to some things than other groups. Right. Uh, so you can't just try a joke once, and if it, no one laughs, assume it's the joke. Right. But uh, you know, if you have a night where just nobody digs you, that's tough. And that's I've tough. had those yeah, nights. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Okay. I've had. I had. There's this one room in town that every time I go, I go once in a while just to try and um, overcome it and yes. to just try to win once in this yes. particular room. Okay. But uh, it has not happened yet. Do you think it's the room or the people that are there? Well, that's what I mean by the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. 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 I mean, it's it's that this particular room draws a particular crowd that has a particular taste. Plus, you know, I'm still new in town, so to speak. You know, it's like I've been right. doing this for 
less than a year. Yeah, I remember there's... when you first posted your first. I'm doing my first stand up comedy thing. Something I remember following. Yeah, that. Okay. yeah, yeah. That was last September. So yes, you know, there's. I mean, there's a number of things. First of all, there's a lot more comics now than there used to be, and secondly, um, there's you know a little bit of a boys club and old you know old boys club. Sure. And they've been here. Okay. And they've been these guys have been at it for a long time. In There's, Asheville. In Asheville, yeah. There have been people who've been doing I think but when I say a long time, probably four to five years since okay. like the open mics have been going here. And yeah, the sort of longest standing comics in town have been at it for that long. Okay. And so I come along and, you know, expect all kinds of things. And True, like, but if you're, you're funny, then people will laugh at your jokes. Yeah. I mean, I get a decent response, but okay. you know, uh, and I've had a lot of great opportunities. I mean, I headlined this last weekend in Hendersonville. Right. And guys who've been at it for much longer than I have were opening and featuring for me. Okay. But that doesn't mean anything. Next week, I could be opening and featuring for them. You know, it's like- Yes, yes. It's not, it's not a function of um, better than or anything. It's, 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 I mean, to some degree, there's yes, that. Yes, yes. But, uh, you know, I did a show uh, in May in Hendersonville- which is the next town south. Yes. And, uh, you know, I was opening for a major comic. And, I mean, he destroyed, but I killed. I mean, I okay. did I had, I had two great shows, Friday and Saturday. Okay. I mean, you know, but the- Repeated content? Yeah, mostly. Okay. Yeah, mostly. You know, okay. tightened up a little bit from yeah, night yeah, one yeah. to night two. And okay. then also I did a few things on the second night I didn't do the first night. I left out some things on the second night okay. that didn't- go as well as they could have on the first night. Right. Like some tags on some jokes. I don't know if you know what a tag is, but like, um, you know, it's the, it's the thing you, if yeah, it's, it's stuff that also gets laughs after a punchline is called a tag. Okay. So yes, if you yes, can keep yes. milking that yeah, joke, then yeah, yeah, you yeah. want to do it. Okay. And, you know, so I have a couple of jokes in particular that have pretty strong punchlines and, you know, tags that are very audience dependent. Uh-huh. And so in this case, oh, you know, they didn't love show. the, yeah. the Well, tonight I'm doing five minutes and then I'm hosting for everybody else. Right. So you'll get five minutes of whatever I do. And then, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. okay. it won't be much of me for the rest of the night. Okay. I mean, I'll be up every five minutes to say something yes. sarcastic about whoever just got off stage and say right. something promising about whoever's coming next. You yes. Know? And the cycle <laughs> continues. Uh, but no, I mean, it's always designed to be supportive in both ways. But, you know, you're also trying to work with a crowd. So if somebody bombs, you got to work with that in a way that's fun, that revives the crowd and gives them hope for the next comic. Okay. Um, so. Do do you exercise your wit like I would exercise my biceps and triceps? Oh, you mean, do I... Do you do things to train like your, am I, your am I, am I in training? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's... Okay, so that's... We're going to get to you in a minute. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's an interesting question because, I mean, I got into this because, I mean, you would, you were there in that training with the deal. Yes. And, you know, Zingers, I kept the, left, yeah, and right. left and right. Yeah. Yes. And not, I mean, just that's the way I think. And the, the things that I think to say normally are often found funny by other people. So that's how I got into this whole mess. Yes. Okay. So huh. I've noticed a couple of interesting phenomena. One is that, um, I still do that, but I do it less. First of all, I have an outlet for it now. Okay. So it's not like every person has to is in the unfortunate position of having to be my audience and yes. possibly the butt, the butt of, of your the joke. joke. <laughs> yeah. And and uh, and oftentimes both, as my ex girlfriend would tell you. You know, like when we broke up, she said, you know, I remember once, and I think it was in therapy when she finally just said it. She's like, 
we're not together anymore. I don't need to be the butt of your jokes. And I was like, okay, that's fair. And now my routine is about her. I was going to say, I was, I was like, gonna say, now you you're going to be the ex, mistake. You're going to be the ex girlfriend. You know, I mean, Dick. I was yeah. like, you could have just only heard it once in a while, one on one, but now the world is hearing it. So you're, you know, next yes. time you'll exercise different judgment. Yes. Uh, no, I don't. I actually don't say anything. I mean, I use her as a foil in a number of things, but I don't say anything that is truly revealing about her or right. us. I mean, it. It wouldn't be right, and it wouldn't even be funny. Yeah, I mean, it's um, what's funny is the sort of stuff that happens in relationships that other people can correct. Yeah, yeah, to, yeah. You know. Yeah. So uh, anyway, um, but to answer your question about do I exercise it? So in a way, I sort of do less. Also, I've noticed this. I don't know. I'm I'm playing around with an, a concept with comics right now where I feel like. Sometimes they're not that funny off stage, you know, and that's partly because a lot of comics are just depressed or whatever their issue is. But I just find that a lot of times they're just not that funny off stage. And it's almost like I wonder if they're hoarding their humor, like they don't want to risk saying something funny and then right. somebody else uses it or they think that they have a limited amount of funny and then they don't want to piss it away over drinks they want to make yeah. sure it comes out on stage i don't know i'm hypothesizing this okay and then the flip side is people who can't turn it off you know um and so i'm very conscious not to be doing shtick with people when i'm having a normal conversation yeah although occasionally something will come up and i'll say you know it's funny i do a bit about that and then i'll tell them the about the bit uh-huh you know um but i had a friend who in la who was a comic and this is a long time ago, and he was constantly doing shtick mid conversation, and it was really annoying. Okay, you know, um, yeah. yeah, because it was really just taking the conversation in this other place that was about, you know, reorienting the attention to him, not keeping it in any way really lively. Or just to get a laugh. Else. Yeah, yeah. So and so that always bothered me. So I try not to do it. Uh, but I, I remember I had dinner one night here and my mom was in town. So I invited all of my friends that she likes. Yes. Or not all of them, but her favorites or whatever. <laughs> yeah, and a bunch yeah, enough yeah. who would fit around the table. And then, and I was still pretty new at this comedy stuff. And at one point I went on a riff that just had everybody laughing. And it was about cell phones and maps and Siri and, you know, this idea of Siri being an old Jewish woman and, you know, like having this different kind of Siri, which I tried writing a bit about it and it didn't work as well on stage as it worked at the dinner table. Right. But everyone's like, oh, you should do a bit about this. And I was like, yeah, I'm working on it as we speak. And then my mom later criticized me for that. She's uh -huh. like, you know, you really just tried, took all the attention and, and you know, and, and I just said, mom, you know what? Everybody was laughing. Yeah. So I think you just, the attention wasn't on you for a little while. Uh -huh. And that's what was hard, you know? <laughs> I mean, I just threw it back at her. I was like, you know, it's okay. I mean, I'm pretty conscious about it. And yes. I don't, I spent most of that evening being quiet. Okay. You know, and then right. if I say something and people are laughing, I think it's okay. Okay. So anyway, it was, it was pretty funny, but that's oh, my cool. mom. She's as, uh, as I say in one of my routines, I was raised with unconditional criticism, and that's a pretty solid example. <laughs> okay, yes. So um, so what are you doing in town? I am here visiting my parents, my mother and father, who uh, live here in Asheville. I was born and raised here in Asheville, and uh, I'm home for a family visit. I try to see them once a year. Either they come to Europe and visit me, or I come home to see them. So I remember the moment that you told me you were from Asheville when yes. we met at, in Seattle at, uh -huh. uh, or Bellevue. 
um, at a deals training. I mean, that first of all blew my mind, but then just kind of looking at you and knowing you, I'm like, of course you're from Asheville. Like there's almost nowhere else you could be from, oh, okay. you know? Um, and I mean that in the best possible yes, way, yes, you, yes, know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, but it's just, uh, I remember that moment. Um, and you know, people can't see you, but maybe we'll get a picture of you. But you know, I just remember your hair being in every shot. <laughs> this and, is true in the video, which is and why this is an audio. Segment. This is an audio. <laughs> As you can see, there's no cameras yes. around. Um, uh, but but I remember that, and uh, and I don't know, I don't know too many people who were born and raised here. Most of my friends are transplants, like me. You know. Yeah, this I've I've noticed this, and I I was talking. You know, I'm around town and visiting places, and. 90% of the people that I that I see and that I talk to uh, because I don't have a southern accent right and I, I usually come and I'm with my wife who has a Swiss accent and I have Spanish driver's license and all these things but where are you from so well I was born here in Asheville and they look at me like I'm I'm some weird alien of sorts and like wow people really were born here yeah and my father was born here as well so there's oh, so a, I'm a second, second generation, generation wow. Ashevillian. Yeah. my grandfather his father is from Aiken, South Carolina, so all quite regional. Mm, that's amazing. Well, you also kind of look span like if you said you were from Spain, that would be very believable looking at you. Yes, it's you know? true. My um, mom was born in Egypt, so this is a another aspect of the Asheville multicultural piece. Oh, really? Uh -huh. How did she end up meeting your dad? Uh, she they were exiled in 1964 under Nasser, kicked out all the Jews. Okay, so they left from Cairo, from Heliopolis, a Jewish suburb of Cairo, through Alexandria, took a boat to Marseille, spent a couple months in Marseille, and they got uh, through United Jewish Federation visas to either America or to Israel. Okay, and my grandfather said to his three children what would you like to do? And my mom said it took about three seconds. America, America, America. Done. They caught the next boat over to Washington, D.C. Got to, landed literally on a boat in, in Washington in late 64, early 65. And uh, Warren Wilson College was looking for international students to make uh, an international community here. English not required. Oh, so wow. My mother spoke Arabic as her mother tongue and French. And... Very little English, if any. So she came to Western North Carolina from the Jewish suburbs of Cairo. Uh, and, and a year later, here she was at Warren Wilson College. And through the Jewish Yenta network, um, <laughs> my grandfather had three sons. My mother was looking for somewhere to spend Passover. And, oh, uh, and her professor that's says, so ah, Milton Lurie, he's got three Jewish sons. He's a nice Jewish girl, a nice Jewish boy. Let me make a call and see what happens. That's funny. So she had her pick of the, literally her pick of the litter. Uh, my grandfather sent my father, which it, in is is for sure the pick of the litter in terms of my dad and, and uncles. Yes, yeah. So my grandfather picked for her, but that's okay. how it was. But he, he chose wisely. He chose wisely. It yes. wasn't like one of those biblical stories where he's desperately trying to marry off the oldest. No, my dad was the middle, which could have been the case. But uh, knowing my two uncles, uh, thank God he made the right choice. <laughs> yes. What story was that where, um, was it Abraham who married off? It wasn't him, right? It was one of them. He he swapped out the bride. Like he had these two daughters. The older one was homely and the younger one was beautiful and everyone fell in love with the younger one, but he had to marry the older one off first. And so he switched them. Uh -huh. And ever since then, that's why they lift the veil at the wedding. Oh, okay. Like that's the, that's Interesting. the excuse for that tradition to make sure it's actually to make the, sure right it's really the right woman. The right one. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, um, 
Yes. Of course, these days, I don't know if people, do they wear veils at weddings? I've been married three times to the same woman. We've had we've had right. three we okay. had three weddings a Spanish one a Swiss one and an American one all to right. make it legal and and binding in all places, and uh, we didn't wear veils we didn't okay. even wear shoes in two of the three. So that's, <laughs> that sounds that, awesome. Yes, was Asheville one of the Asheville three was one of the shoeless weddings. The shoeless weddings. Yes. Okay. The Swiss one was a uh, was of the course shoe you'd one. have to wear shoes in Switzerland. Yeah, yes. right. I'm and sure I even that wore the, a tie in the Swiss one. The, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. You could wear only a tie, but you'd have to wear a tie. <laughs> I'm going to Switzerland uh, oh, in, cool. in a couple of weeks. I'm taking my daughter there, so Fantastic. we're on our way to Europe. And okay. she's never been, and so we're visiting friends. And yes. one of my best friends in the world lives in Zurich, and so I'm taking in her. In Zurich, yeah. yeah. Wow. And in August, September is a fantastic time of year there. Yeah. Well, it'll be we'll be there August fourth. Mm-hmm. So, um, okay. August first is Swiss Day, I believe. Oh, really? I believe uh, well, it's, my it's friends like will, their Fourth of July. She'll be in Italy for that. Okay. My my friends will be wisely. I'm I'm guessing deliberately yes, not in yes, Switzerland yes. for Swiss Day. Okay. Uh, but. Just like, you know, smart Americans find someplace far away from the ruckus to spend the 4th, the 4th of, July. of July. Yes. Yeah, so, although true. I spent mine in New York City this year, which, you know, coming from Asheville is like a different sort of exotic. Yes. Um, yeah, but okay. yeah, I mean, I took Sula, my daughter, and, uh-huh. and uh, you haven't met her and I don't, I don't know that you will. Um, I mean, I'd love for you to, but she's with I'm her mom for the week. Yeah, I mean, she should. Yes. Well, so is she. So is she. <laughs> the two, so we're, you guys we have are. that we in have common. In You're common. the only two Asheville <laughs> okay. natives that I know. Yes. yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, anyway, I took her to New York for Fourth of July, and that was really fun. And then, um, so now I'll take her to Europe, see what happens. Fantastic. Yeah, and her whole family is like sending us emails, and you know. So are you rethinking Europe? Are you rethinking? Because we're flying in and out of Paris, you know, and, and they're all nervous about the terrorism and stuff. I'm like, yeah, you know, that's like telling someone they shouldn't go to the U.S. because they might get shot by a cop. It, yes, you know, <laughs> it's true. I mean, it's yeah. uh, I mean, I know it doesn't feel that way and it's very easy to feel at risk. But I mean, just the sheer odds of being a victim of something like that are so small, even with that true happening is with the increased frequency that it is. True. And it is terrifying. Like it's working. Yes. They're scary. Yes. But. I was in Paris on Friday, the 13th of November, teaching workshops, in fact. And uh, I had my class in Shavasana, uh, and we heard sirens and helicopters. And it was more than like, huh, this is putting out a fire or some accident in the streets or something. And um, brought the class out of Shavasana. I'm a yoga teacher, by the way, in case this hasn't snuck into the (laughs) the podcast so far. And Shavasana is the pose where they're lying on their ground in relaxation. Uh, And uh, so I brought them out of their relaxation and we finished the class and everyone picks up their phones and they start looking and and these, the looks on their faces was enough to clue me in that something was really wrong. And then the studio phone started ringing and it was the studio owner who said, oh my God, where are you, David? Please stay at the studio tonight. Don't leave. Don't walk out in the streets kind of thing. So I I was there that, that weekend of the kind of the first big one, not the, I guess it was the second one because the Charlie Hebdo was the, the first big one when they killed the, the, the comics. Right. The satirists. Yeah. Yeah, well, this was more uh, blatant and kind of uh, more. It wasn't. Killing. Those were targeted to specific right people. True. This was like you know. Let's civilian. just scare the general public. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really, it's really horrifying. I mean, just you know, I don't want to spend much time talking about the negativity going on in the world, but it Super. is a really messed up time. Yes, like it feels more messed up than usual. Like it. Yeah, I. 
I feel because the negativity gets the publicity. Because I'm traveling probably 70% of the year at yoga conferences in cities and places, European capitals around Brazil, not so much in, in, the, in the States, but as a whole, there are so many beautiful, amazing things happening on the smaller day-to-day -day level that don't get the publicity that the radical negative things do. Yeah, I think it's a good point. I, I posted something on Facebook the other day about this young African-American kid who was like living in his tent, waiting for school to start. He'd ridden his bike, I don't know, 60 miles to get to college early. And and uh, and at first, they, they were harassing him. They're like, hey, you can't stay here, Bob. And he's like, well, I'm a student. I'm trying to... And so then I think the cops bought him a hotel room for a few nights, and then they talked to the school to let him into the dorms early. And it was like uh -huh. this really positive story. And I yes. posted that because... And I said something like, you know, maybe if we share more of this, then we can move things in this direction because, you know, what we kind of where we put our attention grows. Yes. So if we're only putting our attention on the negativity, it's going to make the world feel more negative and quite possibly be more negative. So yeah. I liked the idea of, you know, moving it in this other direction if possible. Which is ironic because you have a pod show about failure. Well, <laughs> it's... it's, it's uh, as a it's motivational tool. I, okay. I have, I have a pod show, podcast well, about uh, education. Okay. <laughs> Good. Yes, so, reframing that. Yeah. Uh, I know I, it was really hard coming up with the name of the podcast. And one of the names we wanted was Seriously with a question mark. Like we kind of mm -hmm. like that idea. Um, but initially it was going to be like part yoga, part comedy. And I was, then I was like trying to make something part this and part that makes it nothing. Hmm. Like. You know, and as instead, what it is, is it's really this, I mean, this concept of learning to fail is very global and, and yes. very broadly applicable and very interesting. So, I mean, I'm starting, of course, interviewing mostly people I know, but who people have been important pieces of my life have made an impression one way or another. Uh -huh. So some of them have been, you know, people I know from my woodworking days and other people okay. are from my yoga days and other people are from my artist life when I was a painter and. And, uh, and now, you know, I'm going to have some comedians, some of whom are pretty well known, you know, yes, okay. who've already said they'd have, be happy to do it. And they're not so well known that they, that they're going to say no, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but they're, yes. they're going that direction. I got to get them soon. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, I did have one guy who was like, maybe on your second year, come back to me. <laughs> I, well, it, it, just thinking about the, the title, I remember because we met with, through, through ideal right. and, uh, he has a you know so many brilliant phrases and quotes and things and one thing that stuck with me was that simply by attempting we evolve hmm. so it, it ties in with this learning learning to fail or is, is this what it is yeah mm -hmm. so it's like when you attempt something there is growth and there is evolution so in 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 this concept it makes total sense that we are learning to fail as a tool to keep our evolution happening yeah i mean you know the worst thing is to fail to learn. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yeah. and that's an easy trap, I think, right. to fall into. I think it's I think it's easy to fail to learn. And and so uh Adil is gonna do an interview with me too. It's just a question if we do it on Skype or do it, you yes. know, wait till we're in the same room or okay. if I can draw him into my basement here. Huh, you know, good luck he's, with that. yeah, he's yes. rarely in Asheville. Yes. He would do it, but he's just yeah. not in town that often. Yeah. So yeah. um he's awesome though. I'm I'm 
because we're now finally in the editing phase of this. I know because uh, I was there a few weeks ago. Did you go to the? I, I did the therapeutics training. Oh, you did? The, oh, cool. And the therapeutics training that was not the therapeutics training because of the Yoga Alliance issues. Oh. Yoga Alliance or international? Yoga Alliance now takes issue with anything called yoga therapy because um, they have failed to learn what yoga really is. Oh. Uh, and so Ideal had to change the name to an intimate week with Ideal. But we did therapeutics for, our, for one week straight and it was fantastic. Really, really phenomenal. Oh, that's great. And uh, there was a And was that in Europe or was that here? No, it was in Bellevue. In I, Bellevue, okay. I literally popped over for one week to Bellevue and, and flew back to, to Europe. And now I'm oh, back wow. here. Now I'm back here in the states. You I, really do travel. A lot. I jump the continents pretty quickly. Wow. Because yeah. I thought it was pretty impressive that you came there for a month. But if you'd go for just a week, that's like yeah. Because I haven't I haven't studied with ideals since that training, right? And uh, and I needed my fix. I, I'm a full time teacher, and if I'm not getting input and and learning things on my own, and uh, then then I'm failing to learn. Yeah. And on the flip side of that, um, very few people inspire me like he does. Very I've cool. practiced with a lot of teachers and, you know, there, there are a lot of things that get under my skin right. about his teaching, uh, but there, the positive, amazing depth that is there far outweighs any personal issues that I have with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting because I remember you sent out a newsletter, which I don't, I feel like I don't get your newsletters anymore. Huh, is okay. that, I'll, I'll to, I don't know what that is. I, I send them maybe every three months now. Okay. So it's not that I'm ignoring them. It's that no, they're it's not because I do me. everything. Okay. And thank God our courses are filling on their own right now. So right. So you don't I really, should send it yeah. out as like, you know, not only when I need something, do I call, but yeah. send it out as a, as a, you know, touch. it's uh, yes and no. It's like, I think people are just as happy not to hear from us as they are to hear from us. And that sounds yes. like I have certain you know, organizations, somebody, I, who knows why they have my email address, but I'll get four or five things from them a day. You know? yeah. It's not helping yes. get my business. Uh, you signed up for berniesanders.com also. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I quickly unsubscribed that for literally four a day came in. Gosh, okay. I made yeah. my contribution now. Yeah. That's uh, you're going to get the vote. Not anymore. I'm going to, yeah. going to vote for her. Yeah, I know. It's, that's a tough one for a lot of us. Yes. I mean, I'm going to vote for her too, but we have to. Yeah. But I mean, we won't go down that road on the interview. Yeah. Well, yes. you know, most of our audience will be voting for her as well. Yes. Um, but I, yeah, I have some friends who are just really, they're going to vote for Trump. And I'm like, how is that possible? Wow. How is it possible that that's going to happen and that we're friends? Like, yeah. not that I don't, not that I would choose a friend based on who they'd vote for, but how are we that far apart? Right. How can our you know? value systems and understanding of the chain of, of like cause and effect right. be that far apart? Because the vote does represent a set of values. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I remember being at a friend's house once and it was the parents of a friend I've, and I've known them, I mean, since I'm nine years old. So I, I have this relationship with his parents. I mean, he wasn't even there. Yeah. You know, I was visiting my hometown and he was wherever he lives and I had dinner with his parents and it was great. And I remember his dad saying, you know, I just, I'm at a point where I just can't even be friends with Republicans anymore. And I found that to be such an offensive position to take mm -hmm. at the time. Yes. And, <laughs> and then now it's like, I'm still don't want to go that far. And I have some people in my life that are close to me that are diametrically opposed politically. Yes. And, uh, you know, I just try not to get into it with them because I don't want to, 
have to give up our friendship, you know? Um, yes. But it's, it's, I mean, I live in the South, you know, this is, yeah, this is it Trump is territory, you know, it's really weird and strange yeah. living in Europe. Now I've lived in Europe now for the last eight years to come in and see it and the people and the, the mentality that's there. And I think the intention behind it, because it it's based on fear purely. I sometimes feel like he just, this is my newest thing about him. I feel like he doesn't even mean, I don't think he cares what he says. And I don't even think he means what he says. I think he just tries to say like, all right, I got away with that outrageous statement. I'm going to say something even more outrageous mm -hmm. and see what happens. And no matter what he says that would backfire on any other human being, it seems to just make his world better. It just gets him more it's attention. Like a successful comic. <laughs> you know, he, he, he tests the material and sees where it goes, but you know, it, it's also like the, the old marketing adage. There's no such thing as bad publicity. He's proven it. Yes. Cause it's been all bad publicity for sure. And it's, you know, he's risen right to the top on bad publicity. So, yes. I mean, it'll be amazing if he wins, I'll just be blown away. I'm like, all right, you know, I've kind of gotten to a point where I think Susan Sarandon is the one who said this and, I think I'm even paraphrasing someone else who was doing their best to quote her. But, you know, if he gets elected, we'll just get what we deserve. Like, that'll be that'll be apparently what we want. Like, I've seen a lot of this sentiment. Yeah. That this is, okay, if this is what America is asking for, so be it. Yeah. And who knows? You know, maybe somehow it'll turn out okay. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. You yeah. know, it's, it's, I mean. Well, then we can quote John Lennon because in the end – Everything is going to be okay. And if it's not okay, it it's the not end. the end. <laughs> is that John Lennon? That's because, John Lennon. Okay, because that was John also... Quote. That's yes. <laughs> I wonder if that's an old... I feel like... Well, I first heard that in the uh, the super excellent, magnificent, great Marigold Hotel, whatever that movie's uh -huh, called. Okay. You know, and yeah. uh, that wonderful actor who was in Slumdog Millionaire. And yes. He's terrific. That's so, And I, he's so endearing. I love seeing his career mm -hmm, take off. Mm -hmm. And so that was his first, like, he's the main guy movie, you know, leading role movie. Yes. And and that was what he said to the guests when they arrived, you know. And yeah. and, and so I'm wondering if John Lennon learned that while he was in India or huh. if that is an original. Okay. I mean, John Lennon's he is full of original yes. great quotes. In, in fact, uh, two days ago, I was in Malaprop's bookstore, a local, local bookstore plug yeah, for yeah, Asheville, yeah, North Carolina. Malaprops. I love Malaprop's also. And uh, they had a fantastic book about the history of all the songs of the Beatles. Oh, and cool. every song got like two or three pages of who wrote it, what was going on in their life, what was really meant there, uh, how the recording process happened, the original writing of the song. And, and I didn't see anything, you know, but there was a, a, a couple great songs from Lennon and McCartney and George Harrison. I'm more of a George guy than the other ones. Um, and they they told some of the stories about the songs, and it was really fascinating to see that. So it's possible that John was inspired with with India with a quote like that. Well, you know, they spent time over there with the Maharishi and yes. all that. Um, yeah. yeah. And George Harrison, I mean, till the day he died, was still a devotee of Maharishi. His, so. uh, the documentary, um, I see the cover of it, and I forgot the name. There's a documentary about him. It's 
phenomenal. Oh, really? And it, it, it covers the whole thing from the beginning of the Beatles through his spiritual awakening, through the post Beatles and his uh, ISKCON Hare Krishna connection. Fantastic. All right. Yeah. I'm very interested to read that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, she's going to watch it. Yes. Um, even better. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm even more interested in watching it than reading it. But that was, well, I was confusing it in my head with the book that you were talking about. Which maybe I'll get for my stepmom because she's a huge uh, Beatles, Beatles fan. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's just you know when you were saying it, this is probably how big of a narcissist I am. I was like, I wonder if I'll ever be at a place where people will want to buy a book about how I came up with my ideas. Like, probably not. Huh. And and I and that's okay. But I was just thinking like, what a small percentage of people. That's really what I was thinking. Like, how amazing to be. Yeah. One of those few people who's really like global legendary status mm -hmm. you know i really i mean ali was probably the most you know the best example of that like he was probably the most known human on the planet more than michael jackson i i i think so you know or bob marley oh definitely i would think more than bob marley because uh it it could be situations where I have been with my guitar in third world countries walking around and the people want to hear Michael Jackson and Bob Marley. Yeah. No matter age, economic status, social, Eng English capacity, musical tastes, when they see a guy like me with the guitar. Right. Michael well, Jackson, Bob Marley. Well, I can understand the Bob Marley, but I... Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But because, I wouldn't look at you and think Michael Jackson right away. Yeah, but, well, you know, it's it's the songs. So yeah. they, they, they want to hear the songs. So what do they want to hear by Michael Jackson? Um, the, Anything works. I can play Beat It. I can play Man in the Mirror. Uh, another big hit that I... What's the one of the other ones that I do? Billie, Billie Jean. Jean. Yeah, that's they a great love, song. Yeah, Billie. And it's super easy. And you can you can tag it directly into uh, Summertime and the that's Living is easy. Same chords, piece of cake. Oh, nice. Yes. Thank, Thank you for your CD, by the way. You're welcome. Um, I am. I was embarrassed at how long it took me to listen to it. No the biggest reason is I don't have a CD player in my life. Like if you'd emailed <laughs> me the MP3, it probably okay. would have happened a lot faster. Yes. But I remember when you gave it to me and you were like, it took five minutes to give it to me. Like it was like, I said, oh, thanks. That's great. You're like, no, no. <laughs> and you opened it and walked me through the whole thing. It's like yes. the whole packaging is magical about that thing. Thank you. It was very cool. And then I finally got a chance to listen to it with my daughter, actually. Oh, cool. We were driving up to Skinny Dip Falls, which is just what it's called. I don't go skinny dipping with my daughter. Okay. But we go up there to build, uh, um, uh, what are they called? They're Cairns. You know, those yeah, rock yeah, the formations? Cairns, yes. Yeah, I got. I went through like a three-week obsession with building Cairns. And then the last time I went, I... I, I kept going back down. to the same place. <laughs> well, no, I what happened was I used all the good rocks. Uh -huh. And so, and they, they'd fallen down between my visits. And so they were all buried in the water. Uh -huh. And I was like, all right, well, I can't make them anymore. And I got frustrated. And so then I built dams with the rock. I like okay. re or I re I rerouted the river. Yes. That was me sort of like, you know, having my, my, uh, my, revenge on the location okay you know? yes yes so yes I was just leaving a different kind of mark uh -huh. but i'm so sure you that listen didn't to last the either. cd uh i am the light of my soul did she like that one how will the sula she's eight okay i don't remember her responses to anything in particular okay um i just remember my response being like oh i didn't know this was a kirtan cd like it mm -hmm. didn't occur to me that um that you I don't know why it didn't occur to me. You're a yogi and you make music. Why wouldn't you do kirtan? Yes. But 
I thought, you know, well, this is very cool. I mean, first of all, it was really good. It was really well done. And thank you. Kind of like when you invite people to see your comedy or say, hey, you should check out this clip. You know, I'm performing. I know that they're just like, oh, God, how they're already, before they hear it, they're preparing, like, how am I going to tell them I liked it? Yes. Because it's going to be awful. Yeah. And, and so it's kind of like that same feeling when somebody hands you their CD, you're mm -hmm. like, thank you, you know, because like people have handed me some pretty awful stuff over the years. Right. And I was really happy to love it as okay, much as I cool. did. <laughs> and, uh, and just, you know, like I listened to it, it was in the car for a while, it was in rotation for a little while. Mm -hmm. um, it might still be in the car, I just don't turn on the CD player very often. Um, and it was just really cool. And I just thought, man, that's so great. Like this guy's really... Got a lot of talent because I remember in Seattle, you were hanging out at that cafe. You were yeah. playing guitar. Yes. Like there was a whole little life going on that I didn't know about because I was buried in video. Yes, the whole time. Yes. So, but when I hung out with Gordon, I guess he took me to the cafe, and you guys Super. were there. And yeah, and I that's I stayed with Gordon three weeks ago when I oh, was, you did when I was there. Yes. Oh, he's, yeah, he's Gordon. If you're listening, thank you very much. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I would love it if Gordon was listening. We'll we'll see. Yes. He'll listen if I have him on as a guest. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, which True. I will, because I love Gordon. He's my uh, he's yeah. my Seattle Jewish brother. Yes. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. The CD was uh, that was my first CD, which was the Global Bhakti Project, and it was I think it's now six years old. And the story that I told you about it with the cover and the case and the things is that I've been a traveling yoga teacher for almost nine years now. Uh, I've been teaching now for 15. I had a studio in San Francisco for a while. And then when that closed, I started traveling and teaching. And um, I met musicians everywhere that I would go. And I'd have a night of kirtan with someone here in Sao Paulo and there in Rio and Barcelona, Amsterdam, all the, the cities that I go to. And I was like, gosh, I would really love to have, you know, Chris, the bass player from Sao Paulo on this track here. And if, if only I could get Binod, who lives in Barcelona, on the, on the Bansuri to play on this song here. Well, I can do that. So one time when I was here in Asheville, I recorded my guitar and vocal tracks. Um... And then I had this master grid and I said, okay, bass, uh, guitar, et cetera, et cetera. On this song, there's going to be these people. I sent out my guitar and vocal tracks and told them, okay, you're going to do a flute solo at this break at one minute and 27 seconds. And da, 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 And there's going to be a hang solo here. Da, da. And everyone recorded their parts, sent them back to me, and we mixed it together. That's so cool. And I invited everyone when they were recording the music to just stop, pause, and take five breaths and realize what they're doing. And that's contributing to what I have called the Global Bhakti Project, that musicians all around the world contributing to a mantra that will be listened to in the future by millions of people. <laughs> of course. Uh, of course. And, <laughs> and we'll make sure they can get it after uh, yeah, this podcast. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's like the this this connection and how what intention do they want to put into that? And when the tracks were coming back and I was listening to to my friends and their their contributions, I was just completely thrilled and excited by it. Well that's one of the things that I remember I had I had forgotten this, but now that you're telling me this, I remember wondering when I was listening to it, I was like where are all these musicians coming from? Like, he's got a big band. Like, yeah. I, that was what I was thinking. Yeah. I just couldn't, and I was like, well, maybe he just plays all these instruments. I mean, there's that possibility too. Yeah. You are one of those people who could be playing a bunch of instruments. I wouldn't be shocked. Possibly, but no, I'm, I'm from Asheville and I can strum a good guitar and I can sing quite nice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I played guitar at a comedy, well, 
I did comedy at a music open mic, and uh -huh. then I closed with a song on okay. a guitar, uh -huh. which I've never done music comedy before. But I wrote this song uh, called "Here Come the Fishmen" with a friend of mine in Berlin, and uh, and it's a funny song. So I thought it would be a perfect time to break it out. But there were two problems. One is the audience had zero interest in listening to comedy. Okay, and all the musicians who played were fantastic and I am not fantastic. Okay. So I basically hacked out a whole, you know, a funny but poorly executed song yes. at the end of a comedy routine that nobody was interested in and I was on stage for about 12 minutes total. And when I got off, I mean people applauded, but you know, I actually I recorded it. Wasn't it wasn't your flight of the Concords moment. No, well, no. <laughs> only in the fact that like they're constantly failing. Yeah, in that sense it is. Do they really? Oh, there's shows all about like how well, I don't know. It seemed, I only watched the first season, but it seemed like uh, they I never were watched. The, I only watched their live shows or their their live music and comedy. Bits. Oh, oh, I meant like they had a TV show okay. called Flight of the Concords, which uh -huh. which the opening to that show is my favorite opening of anything I've ever heard. Where the guys are walking down the street in New York, and I don't want to ruin it. I I, I, I don't want to try and do their accents. Yes, but I almost don't know it's how to tough. say it without their accents. But they're walking down, and one guy turns to the other. He's like, you know, I'm really concerned that the women I'm shagging aren't as hot as the women I was shagging back home. And the, and his friend's like, well, maybe, but the women you're talking about shagging are much hotter than the women you were talking about shagging back home. And he's like, that's true. I am talking about shagging much hotter women. And I yes. just saw like, that is men yes. right there. Yeah, like yeah. that, They captured men so perfectly with that. Uh, so that's my favorite of the Concords moment, and you know, because yeah. I like it so much, it was downhill from there. But okay, uh, but no, they had a fun, they had a good show. Uh, but yeah, I suppose in that sense, maybe you know, well, but they're you're saying they're successful and funny when they play. Oh my god, you've never seen them? I haven't seen them. Oh, except when they perform during that show, like they would check out their YouTube clip. It's business time. Oh yeah, I've, yeah, that I've yeah yeah. This is uh, this is phenomenal. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, really funny. Yeah, no, so right, no, so it wasn't that good. Okay, and it also wasn't a you know. A hilarious video that went along with a pretty hilarious song yeah okay but the song is pretty funny and 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 the thing is it needs like my friend lewis who wrote it with me he mostly wrote it um but it was the two of us were sitting by this uh bank of a river in berlin in the summer in like 96 or something like that mm -hmm. and there was some chemical spill in berlin and all and there's rivers that run all throughout the whole city and no one knew there were fish in this river, but suddenly there were dead fish on top of the river. Like it was gilled to gill. Like there was no part of the surface of the river that wasn't covered in dead fish. And this went on for days. Scheisse. And the whole city was just stinking of fish, you know, and wow. it was awful too. Just yeah, this yeah, death yeah. everywhere. Yes. And, you know, being Germany, they were like, well, we have people for that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so they sent around these boats to pick up the fish, but they're also, since they're Germany and it's a socialist job description they, they didn't really care how good a job they did you know so oh they my. were like cleaning up and and but they missed a, they just avoided a whole section of hundreds of fish and yeah and uh and lewis yelled out he's like or no i yelled out i was like you missed one and lewis who's the nicest guy in the world was like idiot <laughs> and that became the chorus of the song you missed uh, one you idiot okay and and so you know and then the two of us sing it together and it was very organic how it grew and it's really a great song that requires two people who who know how to sing it and an audience who wants to hear it. And <laughs> I didn't have any of that going for me yes, okay. at this event. So 
All right. How did we get there? I was, it was funny while you were saying this, I was wondering, do many of your podcasts span the continents and the topics as we have in the matter of 20 minutes that we're talking now? Everyone's different. I mean, you know, one friend of mine who's like the second cabinet maker I ever worked for. Uh huh. And, and we were friends for a long time after that. And he worked for me and I worked for him and we do jobs together. And, and we had kind of a, uh, sort of a sudden like end to our friendship and so this is now 10 or 15 years later and we're kind of putting it back together and and we kind of had did you know it was like two hours of talking about life as it is now but also talking about our relationship it was very yeah. personal and okay and i remember at the end saying you know both of us saying like this has been awesome and we should do it again and i said you know i feel like you know, I feel like there was some laughs. I feel like there was some healing. He's like, well, I don't know about the healing. I was like, well, it's my podcast and I feel better. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so if yes. you don't, it's not yeah, my yeah, problem. Yeah. Okay. And that was just in keeping with the spirit of the conversation. So, you know, there've been, yes, there've been ones like that. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, to me, this is, um, what I hope is interesting about it is the relationships that I've cultivated and they, those mm -hmm. do span the globe. Yes. And so, you know, if I can bring all that into this, then that's that's what I want, you know. Cool. And hopefully the stories are interesting to people and the people yes. are interesting to people. Okay. So, yeah. Cool. Um so all right. So you're here for three weeks total or ten two, days. Ten days. Ten wow. days. Yes. And I'm gonna get to see you twice in one of those ten days. Yes. That's pretty significant, man. Yeah, Thank you. Exactly. You're welcome. Yeah, that's you're awesome. Welcome. And so where to from here? From here, we are off to Iceland. My wife, Miriam, Dude. and I, we're... Because August in Mallorca is not a time for locals to be there. Okay. So it's over flooded with tourists. It's too hot. It's it's just not a good time for locals to be there. So we're going to Iceland nice. and we're going to spend two and a half weeks uh, on, a, on a tour. We're on a, a self-guided tour. Hmm. We've signed up with a company that gave us a packet. We have a car. We have our destinations laid out, and we just get from point A to point B. Some days it's a three-hour drive. Some days it's a five-hour, six-hour drive, and a kind of a range thing. But we're going to go all around the island of Iceland and, and see that. That's so cool. We'll be back to Mallorca at the towards the end of August and then starts up busy teaching season again. I've got two more uh, festivals at the end of the summer, Copenhagen Yoga Festival and a new one called the Groove Yoga Festival that's happening in Croatia. Oh, cool. I've got teacher trainings happening in Ibiza and Mallorca, November, December, back a little bit on the teaching circuit in Cologne, Dusseldorf, Amsterdam, kind of thing so are these places that you return to every year most of them yes yeah, yeah. you add new studios and some drop off how does that how does that go yeah it's uh most of the time yeah when one drops off one adds new um i need to have some kind of personal connection to it um if any if anybody uh in america is listening to this i'm hugely famous in europe um, so uh, <laughs> it's like i'm big in hendersonville <laughs> exactly exactly um but uh in the european yoga scene i i get a lot of invitations 
transportations to different cities. I find, because uh, I also went to business school and I have a good head on my shoulders, I would like to think, I stay clear of big markets. Okay. Um, I tend to do much better in places like Hendersonville, but on the European scene. Like right. I go to smaller towns, Dusseldorf, Dortmund. Uh, you know, I, I don't go to Munich. I don't go to Berlin. I'm in Amsterdam because I've been 10 years in a row and I have a lot of good connection with the Dutch students and, and the couple of great studios there. Um, so most of them are repeat places. Okay. And then the purpose of those is to go and give my workshops and share the teachings in hopes that people will come on retreat and teacher trainings. Right, right, right. So you're some, in some ways always recruiting for that. Always degree. recruiting for that. When yeah. I go to the yoga festivals and this summer, I'm, I've already been to four uh, so far in, in June and early July, and I've got these last couple ones coming up. Um, those are partly recruiting trips and partly to feed my musical passion because at the festivals I get to play music with people that uh, I see once or twice a year and we have this connection we get together for a night of mantras and hippie songs and uh, I'm always throwing in Bob Marley songs and and other fun pop songs because uh, I like to I'm what I call the king of kirtan mashup because <laughs> the maha mantra Hare Krishna Hare Krishna Krishna right. Krishna Hare Hare fits to any melody known to humans so i pick a pop song and i'll play it and people will oh this is great you know that the one for this summer that i was doing was was lord um you know i never uh -huh. seen a diamond in yeah the that's, a, that's this, a great this, tune it's too. a fantastic song yeah. Hare krishna Hare krishna 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 Hare ah, yeah. Hare Hare Ram. and so you can fit this module to any song that's there that's in the world and um that will always be a piece of my my music i love bits. that so in all these that. places that i go to these festivals i get to hang out with great musicians we make a concert for a night and it uh it feeds my desire to be a rock star even though i'm a what i would say humble yoga teacher <laughs> would other people say that uh maybe not my wife but <laughs> <laughs> possibly the students possibly the students yeah, yeah. that's funny yeah well I'm not married, but I know if I was, my my wife would have all kinds of things to say about me. But, but <laughs> yes. I'd rather she kept to herself. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Well, to love us is to criticize us, or at least that's how I was brought up. Like I said, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is how it is. Also, that the ones that we love the most are the ones that we feel more comfortable to share those judgments, criticisms, critiques. Right. You yeah. wouldn't necessarily say those things to the stranger on the street or someone who you're going to see once or twice in your life, but someone who you know. And if your intention at its deepest level, although it might sound like you want to cut someone off at the knees, is to how can I support this person in growing, then, hey, you know, you wouldn't be such an asshole if you were such and such, right. is in somebody's way of, hey, I would like to help you be a better person. It just comes across like a punch in the gut <laughs> too often. And it's, you know, it's the ones that we really love that yeah. we feel comfortable enough to say those things to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm ready for people to feel a little less comfortable around me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. It's, I've created too much comfort in the world. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so that's very cool that you've got so much going on, man. It's really amazing. I know like... Um, I mean, because I travel and teach just with the eggs. Like, I always feel like the world doesn't need another yoga teacher. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you know, yes. like the world I doesn't they need do, me. And to... we train them in Brazil every year in February and March. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, well, I don't mean that that the there don't need to be more people teaching yoga in the I world. Know, yeah. But like when I think about me going out and teaching 
like the thing that makes it unique is teaching about the eggs. Me going and teaching just a regular yoga class, a lot of people more qualified than I am. And I so. I agree with you 100% on this, Jason, because I teach at a lot of these conferences and I go and take other teachers' classes. And I have to say I'm disappointed and let down over half of the time yeah. because I get just a yoga class right. that I could get at, you know some schlump yoga studio here in South Asheville or Hendersonville or New York City or, or Berlin or anywhere. You can go to a studio, pay your 15 bucks and get a, a class that teaches you how to move through asanas. The world doesn't need any more of those. Right. Someone who touches your heart and inspires you to, to think critically and, and also teaches you about your amazing human body the world can use a lot of those. Yeah, right, exactly. And I just know that I have a limited <laughs> amount to offer as far as that goes. And you know? comedy and yoga, have you like as a as a as, as a, a double? All my classes are funny. I mean, it's clearly. like you were there for the class. And, yes, it's uh, true. It's you know, very true. I mean, it's I'm. It's almost more important to me that people laugh than it is that they learn. And yeah, yeah. and I know when they don't laugh, I don't leave the class being like, well, I really felt like I taught people how to use eggs this time. I just take that for granted. I'm like, <laughs> I don't feel like they got my jokes or. I feel like yeah, they did one yeah. or the other. Okay. And when I was teaching in Japan, which is a kick, uh, the woman who was translating, she was so good at translating that she was able to translate my sense of humor too because they were laughing. Okay. Even though they didn't speak any English. There yes. were always a couple who spoke English, so they would laugh when I said it. Yes. And then the rest of the class would laugh when she translated it. Okay. So that was great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that's to her credit as much as mine. You For know, sure. I don't even know what she said. Maybe she said something funnier <laughs> than what I said. Come to think of it. He tried to make another joke again. Please laugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that could, that could have happened. I was like, this sounds a lot like when I explained it last time. So yeah, that's funny. It didn't occur to me. Yeah, she, was, she could have done that. Yes. Um, I also uh, like to make people laugh in my class. It's an even, even when there's a serious spiritual moment. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I back to the kirtan and the mantra thing. Uh, I've I've learned that from Jai Uttal, and one of Jai's main teachings is please don't make spirituality too serious. Right. And Adil's teaching: keep the joy greater than the effort. You know, this this to me is so fundamental. And so bringing people to laugh in a class is a, is a, both a talent and a skill, but I think it's also an important piece. Well, I know um, I know most yoga teachers try to be funny. And <laughs> yes. some succeed more than others. Yes. And, you know, like that part comes a little easier to me than maybe teaching high quality yoga. Like that's what I'm, that's my cutting right, edge. Right, right. Uh, I mean, I do okay. Um, but, you know, my favorite thing to teach is every year at Christmas, I teach kosher yoga okay. here in Asheville. And it's basically a yoga class for all the Jews in town since no one has anything to do. When I was in San Francisco, I taught Hanukkanasana. Oh, I, that Voila. was the name of the class? Yep, yep. Oh, that's great. So it's all yours. Same Please idea. Take well, it. I yeah, might... Yeah. Come, yeah. Well, you know, I'll credit you for sure. Okay, yes. Um, but uh, maybe we'll come up with a, an asana that we do that celebrates Hanukkah. Yes. Uh, of course, there's the whole eight nights and the eight limbs. Uh -huh, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I like to rename the postures inappropriately if I can. Yes, yeah. So. Like the astronomer's pose. Which one is that? It's Prasarita Padottanasana, when your legs are spread wide and you're folded forward. So legs wide, forward, uh, standing forward, fold. It's also known as the astronomer's pose. And why is that? Because you can clearly see Uranus. <laughs> All right. I've yeah. been using this for 10 years and I still get laughs, <laughs> still out get, of it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. 
Uh, did you tell that to Adil? Uh, no. You, you might not. Yeah, I have not, not used that one in Adil's context. You know, Adil asked me, he said, because uh, I had posted this like seven or eight minutes that I did online. I don't know if you saw it. I put it on Facebook. Like this first eight minutes of the show I did in Hendersonville, where it was a lot of audience of, yes, yes, yes. work. And I decided, you know, that first of all, that was so unique to that night because it was a lot of it was about the interplay with the audience. And most of that stuff that I put up, I'm not really going to be doing that much longer. Okay. So I don't mind having that out there. Like I'm making a conscious effort not to put stuff out online that I'm going to be performing because I don't want people to oh show my up God, and this they, joke again. Heard it already, yeah. You know, uh, I mean, that's like definitely being generous with myself about myself, thinking that <laughs> that, that many people are going to listen and come. Yes. But uh, the small number of people that come might also listen. So I've been conscious about that. Anyway, so Adil wanted to hear that you know my comedy so i said well here you can start with the seven minutes and if you feel like you want to hear more you can hear more but i just need to tell you in advance it goes you know a little blue and it's not exclusively the yogi jason that you know like okay you know yes. not that he can't imagine it right and, and adil yes. said jason it is impossible to offend me you know, I said, well, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> and I yeah. said in the clips, I don't know if he had a chance to listen to the other ones or not. But okay. I know he liked what he heard, but he may have only heard that eight minutes. Yeah. So, I mean, okay. it's definitely, I think of him, uh, I mean, everybody has their uh, gritty side. Um, but I think of him as really someone who tries to keep a pure a purity yes. around his life and there's definitely some impurity in my comedy and and I, I don't mind that. I oftentimes feel uncomfortable and and in the training that that we were in there was a, maybe one or two comments that came out of me that were like oops <laughs> wrong time for that one. Yeah. Yeah, cuz my jokes tend to, you know, in the yoga scene tend to go towards things like oh you can clearly see uranus and this right. is a very uh kindergarten style. I I can take it up to doctoral level. If it's the right circumstances. Yeah. Well, someone like him, I try to be so careful around. But the more I know him, I mean, I'm still careful. Uh, but the more I know him, I mean, he's so playful and he's so funny. And my favorite thing about that training was he would dish it back to me. Yes. I mean, he, the <laughs> two of us had this thing going on, you know, and it was so funny. And it was never mean spirited. Yes. But it, it it went in, you know, it, was, it wasn't... Mm -hmm. uh, purely superficial either like it was it was pretty funny he would he yeah. would say things that he knew would get me you know yeah so um okay so you got a lot of teaching stuff lined up where were you before this uh let's see just before her coming to Asheville, the weekend before, I flew on a on a Tuesday morning. The weekend before, I was in Chamonix at the Chamonix Yoga Festival at the base of Mont Blanc. It's fantastic. Wow. The tallest mountain in Europe and in this amazing glacially carved valley at the uh, Majestic Hotel. It was a yoga conference that I was teaching at for the weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Flew home on Sunday night, changed my clothes on Monday, packed up and came to Asheville. And I've been on tour. June is usually my big tour month. I was at the Dutch Yoga Festival on the island of Terschelling, which is phenomenal festival. It was the 10th anniversary. And they used one of my English songs, uh, May I Remember, which is on my Bandcamp page, uh, as the theme. It was the 10th anniversary and the theme was Remember. So I was the opening ceremony, the closing ceremony with this song with 500 people all saying, may I remember, may I remember this. It was really oh, that's fantastic. Awesome. Yeah, that's very cool. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, th quite a few stops in Germany, the Bhakti Yoga Summer Festival in the south of Germany. Um, this weekend, uh, I'm normally at the Barcelona Yoga Conference, but that's uh, I've decided to come here to my mom and dad. You got to come at some point. Yes. I mean, you're going to have to miss something. Yes. As my uh, step, my probably my great step aunt or step great aunt or whatever she'd be called, uh -huh. she used to say, you can't dance at every bar mitzvah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That was her saying. That's a good way yeah, to put it's it. It's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some people are like, what's a bar mitzvah? I'm like, just, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It can't be everywhere at once. I mean, how hard is this? Right. So um, I I don't know if I know the story about how you got into yoga. I mean, you're from Asheville. I was so born the odds are, Asheville. Yes. You know, you're going to. Yeah, but you don't know Asheville from 1973 till 1991. I do not. Was not Asheville as it is today. Okay. What Not even like? Asheville. What the was last it like? I mean, years. give me. Yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty cool, but we were pretty country. You know, when I was quite young growing up, uh, I liked to go to uh, the granny hole, which is at the, the far north end of Beaver Lake, where it washes over and goes underneath that bridge. Um, There's the place that we would go and catch catfish, my friend Steve Repneck and I, and this is what we would do on after school. And um, my friends in the high school, I, I went to Asheville High, and I'm, I'm a class graduate from 1991. The my friends and I we got into the Grateful Dead, let's say around 87, 88 kind of thing. So psychedelic drugs came into our lives. I mean, Asheville was still it, it was just kind of getting started in this kind of movement. Um, but we would go and spend the weekends up in Shining Rock Wilderness. There was the the rainbow gathering happened up there, a regional gathering, and opened my eyes to many things in, in that time. And uh, Asheville was was quite um, the downtown scene where this there's a bar now called Oliver Twist right on the corner, mm -hmm. um, the the alleyway Carolina Lane. Right in the eighties was a really dark place. Yeah, and it was like we I I wasn't really allowed to go there, but we would go and there would be late night parties with Depeche Mode and In Excess and these kind of you know dark what I, not, there were much darker bands playing but it was like you know the lights were all down and we were listening to this 80s pop music right. and, and this was going on there um we hung out a lot at Boquetra Cinemas, which had just opened up in the time. And it was the new thing to do was go to the mall. And some of my friends would love to get into fights and, hey, let's go to the mall and get in a fight. And that's what they like to do. Wow. I was never, I was always more of kind of like the the posse rather than the fighter. I was never, I've been in three fights my whole life. And, that's three um, more than I've been in. Yeah, and they were all three here in Asheville. So yeah, you know. I've had plenty of opportunities, yeah. but I'm just like, I can imagine as a comic. Yeah, well, that <laughs> that's happened, a new thing. That's a hasn't new, yeah. happened as a comic, but okay. um, just different times. I grew up in Santa Fe uh -huh. for five years, and you know, I was a minority there, and that's and you know, right. I have some real empathy for that experience. Yes. I feel you know because I've been on the other end, and being Jewish or a minority wherever you go, but. Being yeah. white in Santa Fe, New Mexico, back then in the '70s and '80s, you're a minority, mm -hmm. and and you're not a particularly welcome one, right? And so, you know, I would have a lot of people 
you know pick fights with me all the time like i was just like i'm not gonna do this one you know yeah um well you, i mean with the jewish thing and also you mentioned something about a bar mitzvah i was bar mitzvahed here in Asheville. uh it would have been 1986 and on the day of my bar mitzvah by coincidence if you believe in those kind of things there was a ku klux klan march in downtown Asheville on that saturday uh. Yeah, in in 1986, it it was it was the Klan was marching on the day of my bar mitzvah, uh, so this was how Asheville was in in that scene, and uh, in Asheville High when I was going there, it might even still be like that. It was 60 percent black students, so yeah, I don't know what we it's like now. we were we were the minority, and especially as the as a Jewish one, we were yeah. really like one percent. My sister and I, and I think maybe two or three other families. There were a couple other private schools that people were that, that some of the other Jewish kids went to. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a it's a it's a different thing. So, um, I don't know. Everyone should have that experience of being in the minority. You know, at some point uh, in their life, I yeah. think this is a huge learning opportunity yeah yeah a, a really big one this is why we you know like if mandatory travel for one year to a place that doesn't speak your language this yeah. kind of would i don't think we would be in the problems that we're in today politically or or socially or economically even to that point oh yeah i mean the level of just um xenophobic ignorance in our yes. country is just mind-blowing to me not only in america so, no, not only. Not, yeah, no, you, you say this country; it's a global epidemic. No, but that we are. We have, as a group, we have the means to travel. We True. have a passport that can take us almost anywhere, and yes. most of us. I don't know if it's fair to say most of us, but as a country, we generally have enough money to go check out another country. For sure. Like you know, I have a friend other who, than Canada, other than yeah, beyond <laughs> Canada, and and you know, uh, Baja, Baja California. California. <laughs> so, uh, I I. I remember a friend of mine in LA, nice guy, um, Jewish guy, I think. Anyway, he um, he always talked about going to Europe, but he said he wouldn't go until he could afford to do it on a five-star lifestyle. Oof. And I was like, but that's not Europe. Yeah. That's going to have the least European possible experience you could have. Right. He's like, well, that's what I'm doing. I'm like, well, I guess you'll never go. Yeah. You know? And okay. he probably won't ever go. No. Um. But nice guy, but I just remember that piece. And I, you know, I hitchhiked through mm -hmm. Turkey, which right now would be a terrible idea. Yes. But, um, you know, I had, I, I feel like I, I was fortunate to have my, my timing early 90s, you know, kicking around Europe. Mm -hmm. Like it was still safe and, and being an American was still favorable. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, and I was in Eastern Europe, and that, while that was, I was in the Czech Republic for a year. I was there when it went from Czechoslovakia to, to the Czech, Czech Republic. Republic. Okay. So. Wow. Yeah. Cool. So it was. It was. That was a fascinating time, you know. And I, I love other countries. That's why I'm taking Sula at eight years old to France. Yeah. Yeah. You know, her mom's like, I don't know that she's gonna remember it or get as much out of it as you want. I said, all I want is to plant the seed. Yes. Experientially, that there's other ways to live. Yes. And she Super. said, well. That'll probably happen. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And that's why I take her, you know, to New York and all these places. I just want, I want her to know there's a world outside of Asheville. Right. So. Yeah. Well, which is what, you know, segueing back to back to me jason please yeah uh, that uh in in you were 19... the one who made this about me and now i just can't stop <laughs> in 91 when i i graduated from Asheville high uh i wanted to get out as quick as possible 
Right. That's how it was in Asheville. I mean, it was cool, but I, I wasn't going to UNCA and I wasn't, I didn't even want to stay in state in North Carolina because maybe the psychedelic drugs or something opened my mind to such a point where I was really ready to break free. So I, I went to the University of Denver and studied hotel restaurant management. Uh, That's different. Yeah, very different. <laughs> um, it was fantastic experience, really beautiful time. And then uh, after I graduated university, we'll leave that as just kind of a fog phase, the, the university time, uh, I got offered a job with Hyatt Hotel Corporation. And I was invited to do their corporate management training program. And they said, you can go to San Francisco, Chicago, Dallas, Miami, New York, blah, 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 Phoenix. Where do you want to go? Uh, and I said, huh, I had just been in San Francisco uh, seeing fish at the Shoreline Amphitheater. And I said, okay, I want to go to San Francisco. So they sent me out to uh, the San Francisco Hyatt Regency. And I, was, I did their six-month corporate management training program where I literally... Uh, started in human resources. Then I went to food and beverage where I was a cocktail server. I was a bartender. I was a schlepper. I was uh, a dishwasher, front desk agent, reservations, anything in the hotel. They put you in it for a couple days, even That's painting cool. the sidewalks for a yeah. couple days with the engineers because you have you see what gets done there. And so I joined in the food and beverage team uh, in autumn of 1995. And within my first couple months there, there was a guy named Jamie Lindsay. So it was me as a 21-year-old young buck corporate management, uh, fresh out of hotel school. I know how things are going to get done here yeah. in a union hotel that uh, had opened in 1973, which is the year of my birth. And there were people <laughs> that had been doing the same job for my entire life, 21 years carrying ice from point A to point B and being the bartender. It was a union, union house. And, uh, and there was one guy who was kind of around my age and, and he says, this job's going to be a little difficult here because they burn through managers very quickly. And it just so happens that I'm doing a, a yoga teacher training program. And my teacher said I should find an absolute beginner student to teach a class to. Are you, you want to be my student? I said, yeah, sure. And the guy's name was Jamie Lindsay. I said, yeah, for sure. I'll try it. And so I went to a class and it was a place called It's Yoga in San Francisco, which is where Larry Schultz began The Rocket. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Jamie taught me his first modified Ashtanga class. And it was the very typical yoga moment when I'm lying in Shavasana and the, the lights are flashing and the angels are flying around and think, what is this amazing thing? And, um, and then I started to go to practice with Larry at It's Yoga from 95 till 2001 or two. I did my first teacher training with Larry in two th uh, end of 2000. So you have so rocket yoga is your background. Rocket yoga is are the roots of my yoga teaching. Oh, I never practice. knew that. That's fascinating. Yes. Don't I tell have... ideal, but yes, no, I'm, I'm teasing. As long <laughs> as you <laughs> as long as you find him eventually, he's happy. Yes, this is true. So yeah, uh, and and actually, I think what I mean, I don't want to put words in his mouth ever, but I I would think knowing what I know about him that what he'd really want would be for you to bring the wisdom of Purna yoga to the rocket yoga community, like that kind of, yes. that kind of thing. Like yeah. if, if he yeah. felt like you could Which make that, an I'm, there, I'm really glad to that. hear you say that because that's what I feel that I'm doing. I'm not so much with the rocket community these days. I, I still teach sure, it a couple of yeah. times, but I'm, you know, a freestyle vinyasa yoga teacher, but I bring a lot of the teachings of Purna yoga into, uh, into my vinyasa classes. Yeah. I would, I, I would, 
I guess I would hope that's what he'd want. Yeah. You know, and I would think that's what he'd want, but you never know what other people want. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, I, I'm always amazed at how wrong I am about what other people want. But <laughs> so, uh, we'll ask a deal. You know, David was here. Yes. So I didn't know what rocket yoga was until I was at a yoga conference and this guy did a rocket yoga demonstration. I happened to film it because I used to film David everything. Kyle. Yeah, I think it was David Kyle. He's the best these days. He's he's amazing. Oh, yeah. And he's, he's a really good guy. Really good guy. He's a really good so guy. So nice. Yeah, yes. I think it was David Kyle. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Uh, so did he sort of inherit the... He's kind of the lineage holder, we could say at this point, okay. if there is such a thing. I mean, he thing. didn't act that way, which was nice. You know? No, and he's humble. It's gonna be, He's a, an amazing acrobatic yogi, and, yeah. and he makes from sitting on the floor, pressing up to handstand, look like us getting out of a chair, even only more graceful. Yeah, way more, way more graceful. <laughs> <Yes>. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Um, but he's he's kind of the one driving the bus on on rocket these days. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I met him, and he has a wife and a kid, or maybe two in kids Puerto by Rico. Now, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, he was so, he was a really good guy. It was funny cause he was kind of just kicking around the conference quietly for a couple of days. You know, uh -huh. he's got like a lot of tattoos. He's got the piercings with the big loop in his ear and stuff like yes. that, you know? And, and I was like, who is this dude? You know? Cause he's very, there's very much of a presence that follows him just yes. even just purely aesthetically. You yes. Know? Yeah. Um, yeah. and I just had no idea what he was doing there. Like he didn't look the part per se. Right. Uh, and then I went to, you know, film this demonstration and sure enough there he was, you know, and he was the uh, guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's great. Yeah. I haven't seen him since then. But. I've seen him a couple of times that he's been in Barcelona. Oh, so, cool. so he comes there and, and we were practicing side by side in, at Larry's studio. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and Larry died young, right? That was Larry like a... died pretty young, 53, 54, something like maybe 60. I don't, it was a, like four or five years ago. I don't know which age he was, but yeah. he died a couple of years ago. It, he should, it was too young for what he was. Yeah. I mean, I'm close enough to 53 that I'm going to say that's young. Yes, very much so. so. Yeah. I will, he might've been in his sixties, which is still young, hmm. which is still young. But I mean, during that time in San Francisco, I was, it was like I said, 95 till 2001 when I, until I did my first teacher training, the scene at it's yoga was phenomenal. It was like the dot com, the first dot com was going on. Right. San Francisco was taking off. Uh, I'd quit my job at the hotel I was doing and I found a software job so that I was then doing my tech job in the day and then I would go to the 6 p.m. class Monday till Friday. I was five days a week and even Saturday mornings I was going to the class okay. and the girls and the music and Larry would be outside smoking a joint before the class <laughs> and you know hey can I, you know hey, take a hit of this you know so you take a hit of the joint you go up in the class and you know and it was really cool and then after the classes there was the dance parties and amazing things going on in San Francisco and the yoga scene this time and a lot of the we could say yoga pop stars of today uh, were in that generation, people like Stephanie Snyder, Jason Crandall, Rusty Wells, uh, Janet Stone, a lot of the, mm. the San Francisco kind of pop star teachers that are, that are now with Yoga Glow and international scenes like this right. doing quite well, came from, from those times at It's Yoga. And it was really fun. I'm, yeah. I'm friendly with Jason uh, and uh, Sharon. Um, 
Sharon, Stephanie Snyder, or no, Jason? No, Janet. Janet She's Stone. Janet, Janet Stone. Stone. Yeah, I knew when yes. I said Sharon, I was like Sharon Stone. I'm not friendly. Yeah, not with Sharon, Sharon Stone. Stone. You wish. Uh, Janet Stone. Was, yeah. This is I, not a video, what? Jason. I'm but it was my open. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> I'm just as happy being friends with Janet Stone. Yes. Um, same, same. I knew it was different. wrong when I said it. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, I'm friendly with those guys. Really, really good people. Um, yes. And uh, and Rusty Wells is someone whose name I know, but I don't know if I know Rusty. Bhakti Flow was his thing. It was a, a heated vinyasa, like, you know, I've I've been practicing yoga asanas now for 20 years. And during this time in San Francisco, I was big into the rocket and power yoga, and it used to kick my ass. And okay. I'm in pretty good shape. Yeah. 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 yeah, it would all kick my ass. I'm doing this 22 push-up challenge. I've been That's watching. That's kicking my ass. I've Although I can do it now. Okay. I can do 22 push-ups, which blows my mind. I, yes. It blows my mind that I couldn't do it in the beginning to the degree that I couldn't do it. So now the fact that I can, it's like I'm right. pretty proud of the right. the, uh, the evolution of that. Okay. Um, but you see me like I'm massaging my shoulder. Like it's, <laughs> I, I'm definitely enduring some... Uh, some stress injuries. Yeah, I so. I was also um, had something with my shoulder recently. I'll make a little recommendation for you. Please pay uh, and very much from an, an ideal perspective. Pay attention to your serratus. So the serratus is a uh, and I've I've got a, an elastic band and I'm just hooking it on to to something and doing out towards the side lateral connections and strengthening the serratus because the supporting cast will potentially ease any pain that you have in the shoulders okay. from push-ups because right. uh, i'm i have an amazing men's circle that i'm with in mallorca now and one of our things is building up to 50 push-ups oh really oh, yes. that's cool that's a lot yes 50 is a lot 50 is a lot yeah. we, we've given ourselves plenty of time for it yeah. but we think that a man of our circle should be able to bang out 50 push-ups well you know if you do if you do 10 a day and then every week you add on one you'll be at 50 by the end of the year yes i mean it's, yeah it doesn't yeah. have to be insane yes um yeah this 22 push-ups a day thing is like I, i've taken a couple of days off mostly because i just couldn't find a cool place to shoot the video i've tried to do <laughs> interesting videos i shot myself naked doing the push-ups the other night okay i haven't put that online and i'm not sure that i will but i did it in a way and this was totally accidental but it was very austin powers where the way i put the camera and when i did the push-ups my arm is blocking and yes, you know yes, sensitive yes, areas, yes. Okay. so you can't see anything inappropriate. Like I could put it on Facebook. You can just tell how hairy you are. As is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, we won't get into that. And your tan line. Uh, yeah, this is no tan line. I don't spend enough time outside. Okay. Um, uh, there, but you know, it was just very funny. I was like, when I watched, I was like, oh wow, that was perfect camera placement. Like I couldn't have done it better if I'd tried. Right. Right. So, okay. but I'm not, you know, I'm not really that kind of exhibitionist, but I was curious cause I've lost a little bit of weight doing this. It just like my body's tightened up a little in a good uh -huh. way. And so I wanted to see what I looked like doing the exercise. That was the Naked. main reason I did it. Well, yeah, I wanted to see what my muscles look like. Uh, what my okay, body okay. looks yes, like. Yes, yes, yes. Like, you know, can I, you know, am I, am I, Am I hip sagging or my, you know, like yeah, what yeah. muscles am I using? Like there's right. no way to see that except to be naked. Unless, unless you know? it, correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so that was my motivation. Uh, yes. But now I'm like busily trying to make sure it's not automatically populating drop boxes and things like that, you know, because everything <laughs> the naked everything you do on guy. your phone ends the up naked in the cloud. Guy. Yeah. You know? I don't do the cloud, so, fortunately. Yeah because of things like that yeah yeah. now i do the cloud so that i can access things from wherever i am but so can everybody else so i have to be careful about the yes the pictures yeah but, yeah um okay yeah no it's been it's 
Like I don't let Facebook access my photos. I'll upload something to Facebook, but I won't. I won't give Facebook. We'd like to access your photos. Like not a chance. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're gonna randomly pick one. Right. I don't trust Facebook. No. So, um, well, that's very cool. So that's how you got into yoga. That's how I got into yoga. And then I did the teacher training with Larry in 2001. And I was teaching at his studio for about six or eight months. And my classes were doing quite well. Straight out of the gates, you know, I, I had two classes. I had, a, I think, the Thursday afternoon and then the Saturday morning. I picked up the Saturday morning That's 10 a.m. class, class yeah. which is a primetime slot. Yeah. And it started to do really well. And it started to grow. And I was reading Rumi poems at the end and, and like, wow, it's making a big difference. And then one day I came home and there was a voice message on my machine. David, Larry. Sorry, kid, we had to take you off the schedule. Things are just growing that way. Mula Banda, baby. I, I remember it verbatim. Wow. And he ended it by saying, Mula Banda, baby, and then hung up the phone. And I was like, oh, my God, I just got fired. And I was talking with a few people in the studio, and they said, when your classes get to be too popular, Larry's the top dog here, you get kicked out. Wow. And, and of course I was crushed. It was like, oh my yeah. God, this is, this is horrible. And I was pissed at him. I was, How can he do this? What an egomaniac asshole and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then it was a, a spark that kicked in me and I made my little yoga resume and I went out to different studios and started making a name for myself, teaching in other places. And, um, as my teaching path started to grow and, and I started to, get more successful, I guess, as, as, as a teacher. Um, uh, I, I realized that Larry kicking me out was probably one of the better things that could have happened. So I, I, I walked into the studio one day and he was there and I sat down and I said, you know, uh, the method kind of sucked and it felt like a punch in the stomach, but I don't know if it was your intention or not. Whatever you did has been a big boost for me. Thank you. I forgive you let's let's be friends again and he gave me a big hug and ever and from then up until the time that he passed we were you know a couple of emails here and there and but about all of all of the bad juju was cleared out of the way that's yeah that's nice to hear mm -hmm. yeah when those kinds of relationships go south especially yours sounds like very unexpectedly yeah um, totally out of it can be devastating yes yeah yeah, yeah. that's such yeah. a trust thing that's... but i learned through the failure Full loop. How about that? Nice. Yes, yes, yes. That through, you know, being kicked out in this way, it was like, okay, it's going to motivate me and it's going to, it's going to push me to go and do this because this was a time in San Francisco when I still had rent control in the mm. flat where I was living and the rents were then through the roof everywhere else. Right. I'd been in my flat for five and a half years and the people that just moved in next to me had already doubled. I was like, okay, I'm happy to be here. So I need to keep teaching and I want to earn money this way. But I also was a, a part-time bartender and caterer. So from my food and beverage history, I was earning money through that thing. And then I was teaching yoga classes and it was a pretty amazing time. You sound like an actor, you know, yeah. like, I mean, actors are always 
catering and they're doing totally. those kinds of jobs. That- and I found gigs through through the bartending. I would literally be bartending at you know Larry Ellison's house uh, and and parties like this in in Silicon Valley. And and the women would be there and they would be talking about, well, you know, we'd really we're kind of done with Pilates. We hear things about yoga, and I'd say, well. Here's your Manhattan, and by the way, here's my card. I'm also a private yoga teacher, and you know I can come down, and you know they would look at me and say, "Oh, here's this young guy, yeah. He's a yoga teacher, also great." I'd get a call in the next couple of days. I'd come down and teach teach a class, and then turns out I'm also a pretty decent yoga teacher. That they also liked what I was teaching and and the message that I was sharing with the practice as well. Right, makes yes. a, you know teaches great yoga, makes a mean drink. It's a solid combo. Which uh, was where the story will go next because there was an amazing couple that I was working with, uh, a family actually. They had two young daughters. I was, let's say, in my upper 20s, early 30s at this time. And uh, they had a couple of teenage daughters, beautiful young women. And um, I was I would go to their house and I would teach the mom and the dad, the yoga in the afternoon on Sunday afternoon was our thing. And then they would invite me to stay for dinner and make the cocktails. And we would just, that was our Sunday thing. I would go and teach the class. They pay me. Then we have dinner and I make the drinks about two years into, uh, this teaching relationship. They said, well, our family and, uh, another family with the, 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 partners of, of the girls. Uh, we're going to Crete for two weeks this summer. If we pay for everything, would uh, would you be interested to come and teach us a yoga class every day? And then maybe at night you take the girls out to the bar and you be the chaperone for the teenage girls right. at the at the Greek disco. Yeah. So uh, that's just wise to want one of those. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and so, of course, I didn't think twice about it. Was that some of the other it. fights you got in? <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Those were, I told you, those were here in Asheville. Okay. Those were all high school, yeah. high school days. Uh, so then I went to Europe for my first teaching experience in 2000. Five was that, and I went to Crete, and I'd already been in Brazil teaching t- two years in a row uh, mm. through the Ashtanga, excuse me, through the Ashtanga Yoga Network. I got invited to Brazil to teach at a conference there, um, and I said, "Huh, well, I've been in Brazil, and I did this little tour in Rio and Sao Paulo and Belo Horizonte. Uh, maybe I could do the same thing in in Europe." So I asked these wonderful clients, "Can you just give me?" Uh, an open-ended ticket. I'll come back from Paris a couple weeks later. I sent some emails. I got a connection in Paris, Amsterdam, and Frankfurt. So my first European tour, I had three major cities, and this was in 2005. And and sure enough, the first classes in Paris had uh, two friends of mine that were also traveling in Paris that I met, one student and the studio owner. In Amsterdam, I had like maybe six or seven people in the class. And in Frankfurt was, again, another like seven to ten people in the class. But in all of those places, the the studio owner or the manager was there and said, wow, this is really great. Do you want to come back next year? And so my business mind, I, I put on my business hat and I said, okay, well, you're going to pay $200, $200, $200. Each of you pay a little bit, right. gets my plane ticket. Let's make it happen. Nice. So then I started with uh, the traveling and the teaching then i love how organic all that is yeah that's yes. what i really like is is when something grows organically like that i mean mm-hmm. that's how you know the good things in my life have grown organically mm-hmm. the things that i've worked really hard to swim upstream against i mean you know like 
much harder, never really get there, you know, yes. get exhausted along the way. Yeah. Um, but that's, I mean, that sounds, you know, when you sort of said, you know, kind of a big deal in Europe or whatever, you know, it's, it's clear that it kind of grew the way it should, you know? Yes. Like, I mean, yeah. you you participated. You didn't just passively wait for it to happen. No, because for several years, I schlepped my ass around Europe teaching workshops to eight people and sure. 10 people. And it still happens. Yeah. You know, I, I'm that still happens. And for better or worse, I love it when it does, because then it brings me back down to earth. And, and then right. I have a great opportunity to teach to six to eight people. Because when I'm at the conferences, I'm teaching to 150 people. I know. It's not really teaching. Like it's, no. It, but it's, you can, if done correctly, you can give an experience. No, you can give an experience. Yeah. But it's hard to teach. Yeah. Like, you True. know, you can, I think, like, the, the distinction I make is you can lead a great class with 100 people in it. But it's pretty hard to teach it. It's like, you know. Yeah. It's just, you can't get in there. Unless you got... 20 assistants, you know. Right. I mean, it, well, when I get in a class, then, it's Even over. then it becomes a, a, a Hollywood shtick. Oh, yeah, totally. You're yeah. mic'd and there's speakers and it's... Yes. If they need it, mic and speakers to hear you, then then it's a big enough class. It's hard to make a, a very strong personal impact. Mm -hmm. um, but I had a class this uh, spring in Florida and it was the room had enough space for 20 people and there were 40 people and... Um, it was this interesting kind of yoga expo environment and, uh, people can sort of sign up, but they basically just first come first serve mm -hmm. and people came into my class and I was afraid no one would come. That's sort of my fear every time I teach a class and sometimes it's realized and, <laughs> and, uh, but this is one of those times where it kept filling and filling and I kept moving people out of the way and finally there was no room. I just locked the door and people were banging on the door to come in. I just left it locked, you know, yes. that's the only time in my life I've ever had that problem. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> So, but it was fun, you know, it was really fun. Right. So, all right. So, and how'd you meet your wife? Also a very organic experience that in my travels in 2007, I was in Berlin teaching at a place called Spirit Yoga, which is run by a pretty famous German actress, Patricia Thielmann. And she got a phone call while I was at her house, literally from another famous German actress who had a yoga studio in Mallorca, Ursula Carvin. And Ursula says, you know, hello, Patricia, wie geht's dir? Da, da, da. Um, well, I've had my studio in Palma, but we need some teachers. Can you send some of your teachers from Berlin? Mm. And Patricia says, hell no, I'm not sending you my teachers. From, I'm going to send someone from Berlin to Mallorca with a job. No, I need them here in Berlin. And she says, but here, I've got this American guy. He's traveling. He's a, a great teacher. He would he would do perfect with you. They put the phone. Hello, David. This is Ursula Carvin. I have a studio in Mallorca. And I looked at where is Mallorca? <laughs> and uh, and then uh, Patricia said, do you, have you heard of Ibiza? I said, yeah, yeah, of course. It's just next to it. Oh, okay, cool. When can I come? So uh, And so my first time in Mallorca was in August of 2007. And I showed up at the studio and was teaching a workshop as my introduction to, to the group there. And Miriam was a student in the class. She was a teacher at the studio as well. Uh, and so she took the class. Uh, and after the class, I remember very clearly, you know, I remember during the class, she's a, a beautiful woman, and there was something that was there. And after the class, we said goodbye. She went into the changing room. 
And I did all of my things. And she came out of the changing room with high heels, a mini skirt and, and a push-up bra and her blonde hair and her blue eyes. And, and I did a very typical guy thing. I looked her from head to toe and back up again. And she looked at me like, what kind of scumbag are you? <laughs> and that was the, the, the first. The marrying uh, kind. Yeah, yeah. That, and, and then now we're married. And uh, and then she says, you know, oh, that this was nice to meet you. But tomorrow I'm on my way to Switzerland for the month, the whole month that you're here. So put my name on your newsletter and um, and let's keep in touch sometime. Right. And I'd, I'm curious about your yoga teachings. And so sure enough, I got invited back to Mallorca the next year. I was in my newsletter and I had posted and I was much more regular with my newsletter back then. And I said, oh, I'm coming back to Mallorca. She sent a message that said, uh, great, I'll, it'll be nice to meet you. And I remembered who she was. And from then, we, we started as a fairly social connection because I was living as a single male traveling yoga teacher which is a very special lifestyle right. dedicated to the discipline of my practice and my previously much more hardcore dietary concerns and my visions on life and love and kind of living in the rainbow and unicorn universe. <laughs> and she is a, a Swiss Taurus single mother with two children living on a, a Mediterranean island. Right. So our... our our frequencies weren't so compatible at that point. Yeah. But then what happened was we started hanging out in a more social context because I liked her company and vice versa. And we could argue about things. And, you know, I would tell her about my philosophies about open relationships and wanting to have, you know, a deeper sense of love in my life. And she said, yeah, you talk about this deeper sense of love, but you're screwing girls in all of these places around the world. And you have this and you have this. This is not the way to cultivate depth in love right and well yes it's totally possible and was my response in this and this and over the time because neither of it was pretty clear that it wasn't going to work out with us right that neither of us had an, an ulterior motive right you know I, there was some sexual attraction but it was like okay i don't need to get in trouble with this and vice versa let's just keep the the attraction that's there and because we were very real and authentic with each other we fell in love. Mm, nice. Yes. Yeah. It's very nice. Yeah. 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 That happened to me once over the course of like eight hours. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> I met this woman. It's almost the same story, but it happened in one day. Okay. I met this woman. Uh, I had had I I had walked off a job. I'd never done that before. It was my first day back after three weeks vacation. It was in Germany. Okay. And um, I went. I was I was so happy after three weeks break. And I was happy to go back to work. And I went back to work and the boss started, it was like far in East Germany. I had to like take the train through all the skinhead towns and everything. And, mm. and um, the boss started yelling at me about something. And I just packed up my tools. I said, I'm going to go. He's like, where are you going? I was like, I'm leaving. I'm sorry. Goodbye. Yes. I've never done that before. Wow. And, and I went home and these kids who were from Prague, who were students of mine and spent the whole night awake on ecstasy or acid or whatever. They did a bunch of drugs while they were visiting me. And and uh, I waited for him to leave my house. And then I packed up my stuff and went to the beach for the day. And I decided I was going to plant. I'm 24 at the time, maybe 25. And I decided to plant myself on the beach, you know, near some beautiful topless woman that I could stare at. That, yes. was, that was like, 
you know, that was a great victory for the day. That's what I needed. And I had brought the book with me called The Myth of Male Power. That was the book I was reading at the beach. So it was like this dichotomy. Oh, I day. hope she reads English. I yeah. hope she reads English. So, uh, or doesn't. I mean, so, so then anyway, so I found this woman and, and, uh, you know, I kind of, it was, it was literally, it was, I mean, I watched her, you know, rub suntan lotion all over herself. And, and then, so I went up and asked in German if I could borrow her suntan lotion. My German was terrible, but she gave me some. And, uh, and then I went back to sit down and, and then she went and she went swimming and just the way she moved, she like, she would just glide. Just something she was, she it really moves. was, it was, it was like, she was this beautiful. <laughs> she was exquisite. She was young, but she was, uh, sophisticated. Okay. Or whatever. There's a lot of German women that are like she that. She was French. Oh, and, okay. And uh, and ultimately Algerian. And uh, uh-huh. and so anyway, so I watched her go in the water, and then so I was like, well, I guess I got to go swimming. And I went, and I'm like swimming butterfly, and trying to draw all this attention to myself <laughs> in the dumbest possible way. And uh, but then of course needed more suntan lotion, you know. So I went back and and asked her for more, and uh, but I asked her in English that time. And she responded in perfect English. And I was like, oh, how do you speak such good English? She's like, oh, my boyfriend's American. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, all right. And in that moment, I was like, okay, you have a boyfriend. No problem. I won't hit on you. But it'd be nice to talk. And we sat there and talked literally until the sun went down. And by the end of that day, we were in love. Yes. You know, because there was none of that. That had already been taken off the table. Yes. Or so we ultimately thought. Right. You know, but at least uh, at that point, we were not, there was none of that. Yeah. So we just bared our soul to each other. And and once that happened, then there was nothing left to do but fall in love. It's kind of the catch-22 of, of falling in love because you you want to have the spark. And and yes, I I, I do want to be together with you in these things. But when there there's some, you know, something underneath or, or behind the connection that you want something, it's not as pure. Yeah. So in, in the sense that like when it's off the table, when it's clear that, uh, okay, let's just be purely authentic with each other. Then love happens. Yeah, I mean, it was you know, hundred percent honesty. Yes, in both directions. Yeah, and uh, and then the pro, you know, then that was when the problem started. Yes, <laughs> you know, so because okay. because uh, after that, then we realized that we were interested in each other, and you know, we both went back to the beach the next day, didn't see each other. What beach do you go to from Berlin? Uh, there was other lakes up north. There. Ah, yeah, so there, okay, there yeah, lakes, yeah, 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 okay. Um, and so, but but it's like a beach. This yeah, one. yeah, it's yeah. Like I know. Sand. It's yes. like a beach. Yes. And uh, I want to say it was the Vanze, but I'm not sure that's that's right. But I feel it's like it was the Vanze. Okay. And um, we both went back the same the next day. We both thought we went back to where we'd been the day before, but one or neither of us succeeded. We didn't see each other. And then we were on the same platform waiting for the train, didn't see each other. And then we stopped at her stop. And I remember because her stop was like, it was a, an interchange. So the train stays there for a while, yes. waiting for people to come from another train. Uh-huh. And I saw her walk by and I was like banging on the window. And I was like, call me, call me. Oh my me. God, this so, is a movie. You know, yeah, dude. Yeah. So I started writing the movie. Okay, yes, yes. I started writing the movie, which uh, 10 years later, which led me to Google her, which led me to go visit her. And we rekindled our relationship for wow for two weeks yeah okay um but anyway it, it ultimately didn't happen yeah but uh it's yeah she's one of the great loves of my life i mean um and and so we uh so she you know i was like call me call me so i waited up till two in the morning 
for her to call and she did not call. And, and then finally at like two, the phone rings and it's her. And she's like, I've been calling this number, the other number. There were two numbers on the card. One uh, that was printed, one that was handwritten. Yes. And she's, and she's like, I was calling the other number. I thought you were playing games with me and, you know, lying to me. I was like, why do you think I hand wrote a phone number on there? That's yes. That's the one to use. Yes. So this yes. before cell phones. I mean, right. yes. email, Facebook, this is just when, right. you know. It was like a dial-up. Pick up, yeah, a rotary, rotary phone. phone <laughs> yes. But it was probably a party line, you know? Yes. And uh, anyway, so we agreed to meet the next day uh, at the Schlachtensee, which is like the oh, Blood so. Sea or something yes, like yes. that. And and it's a much smaller little lake. And we uh, rented a rowboat, rowed out to the middle of the lake, took off all our clothes, and had the most romantic day of my life. It was best. The best first kiss of my life was hanging. I was hanging off the rowboat. We're in the water. I'm holding onto the rowboat. She's holding on to me. Yes. You know, we're totally naked. And that was the first time we kissed. There'll wow. never be no. another one like that. You know, no. I mean, it's, you can't do better than that. I don't think. Okay. So, uh, but I just tell the story. We didn't end up getting married because we were so much alike that when we fought, it was, we went to a very dark place very quickly. Uh -huh. Each of us, like to the same place mm -hmm. there was mm -hmm. neither of us were there to kind of hold the balance for the other person we would just yeah okay simultaneously spin out of control and and uh uh man it was awful the fights were awful i but. can say in in our case uh miriam and i still have a, a wonderful polarity that um she in fact had to teach me how to fight because uh, it was it's not my nature. My nature is to find the, an easy solution, a peaceful solution. Don't need to cause so much troubles. Uh, and and she needs the tension and the conflict to release it and and find that. So she has taught me how to stand up and kind of you know when she says something and and I can tell she needs to fight. Then I get into it and we pick the fight and we do it and then. Pfft, the pressure releases and, and it's done but she had to teach me how to do that because mm. otherwise we i would have just found the easy easier path now we still have a quite a bit of polarity in terms of our masculine and feminine essence and teachings um, because we teach together as well she's an osteopath and a, and a full-time yoga teacher and she teaches a beautiful yin practice which is a, a nurturing compassionate loving way of teaching and uh you know i study with adil and guys like larry schultz and i don't know if you've heard of nikki and eddie from maui um very like linear. not mary and eddie no, Nikki, Nikki okay. Doan. Um, okay, because um, there's a, a younger couple, Mary and Eddie, from, uh, also from Hawaii. I don't know if it's Maui, but okay. No, yeah, so, you know, very, just quite a linear, clear, direct approach to asana and yoga. So mm. we have these these two polar sides of, of our asana teaching. And then I tend to be a little more of the esoteric yogic philosophy, bhakti, devotional side. And she's uh, an anatomist and an osteopath. So, you know, we, we have these wonderful two qualities to us. That's great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you can offer a genuine yin yang we do. teaching experience. That's, yeah, that's great. Yeah, 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 we do. Yeah, people need that. You know, it's... Um, it's really good when it's like not conflicting, but it's really different. Yeah, know? yeah, exactly. Uh, because, you know, we will sometimes contradict each other, uh, but in the service of letting the students find what they need most in this moment. Right. It, it, it's always in that service of, okay, here's the one approach. Here's another approach. 
which one is appropriate for you right now. Yeah, that's and not that it from will always be. Each other. Yeah, that's, that's offering too. Um, True. Yeah. What do you need? More water? Well, I have, I have some. You have whiskey? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> something yes. a little, something a little stronger well, than water? Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, do whatever you need. Cool. So, how um, long do these things go that we're they, talking to people they, listen? Yeah, usually about two hours. Wow. Yeah. So, tell me, dear listener, are you still listening are you now? Still, are you there? Are you, are you still, still with there? us? There'll and, be a few people who are still there. Yeah. And yeah. where do you post a podcast? I'm quite. It'll be on iTunes. iTunes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll let you know when it's available. Okay. So. And is it something that people subscribe and they get for free once oh, they totally sign up free. to, yeah, yeah, to yeah, totally free. Jason Talking Shit with His Friends? Yeah. Dot right. com? Talkingsmack.com. And maybe that's what I should have called it, Talking Smack, because that's a little more accurate than learning to fail. But, uh, but I'm, you know, that's, I'm learning to fail right now. Should we tie something into the theme? Do you have a a specific question for that? No, no. no. I mean, we can, but we shouldn't, we shouldn't, we can, but it shouldn't be a should. Okay. Does that make sense? Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. yeah. No, I don't, it's like, um, I mean, like me telling you that story about that woman. I mean, that's one of the stories I tell. Um, on every podcast. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for you to ask. <laughs> uh, no, it's just, in my life. It's one of the stories that I tell. And it's just like, to me, this whole thing is about, I don't know, just a chance to like bring the relationships and the conversations yeah. that, and they're going to be different with every person. Yes. You know, everyone who, like I was thinking more while you were talking about your earlier question, does Every conversation span the globe in twenty minutes. Yeah. Well, no, but not everybody's the self self-titled global yogi. Global, global yogi. So, yeah. like everybody, what you bring into the room, right, is what drives the conversation. And I'm just here to, you know, be me. Yes. Um, and so, but I do notice that who that me is, you know, changes depending on who's in the room to a degree. I mean, there's some. I'm not Mark Maron who's just the same guy every time, mm-hmm. no matter who's in the room with him. I don't know who that is. Oh, you don't? Oh, no. WTF. His, he's he's my role model for podcasts. Okay, um, and he's a comedian, and he's an author, and his like his career is really, uh, it's I want I, I want to say it's peaking right now, but that doesn't mean that it's over. Like right. it's just it's at a peak. It may go higher. It may it's having stay a where it's at. But he's yeah, yeah. he's ha- he's in a great place in his okay. career and in his life. And if you listen to his podcast, he talks about how messed up his life has been. He's been. A, alcoholic and drug user and you know destroyed a lot of marriages and relationships and yes um so that's not me but just as far as the format of like you know having conversations with people that are genuine about themselves and bringing that that's yeah to me that's there's nothing more interesting than that ah cool so um, yeah. Yeah, because because on the 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 name of the podcast i i have to admit if i if i I'm asked really closely to look back at things that, and someone did ask me this in an interview recently of something that I regret in my life or something that I, that Mm. I felt like I had failed. I've, I look very closely at things and, and I'm an eternal optimist and I come from a very privileged lifestyle. I haven't had any of them that make me look back and say, gosh, this was a failure. Mm. I mean, you know, before Miriam, I had, two significant relationships of two and a half years each that for sure were learning experiences. I wouldn't say that that I failed at them because in both of them, I can see where I gave up my essence of who I was for the sake of the relationship. 
Right. So in some sense, we could look at that and say, well, yes, this was a failure to, you know, fully open up to love in the state of the relationship that was there, but I wasn't ready for it yet. I wasn't mature enough at that point yet. So even things that I, others might deem a failure, I would look back and say, oh, thank God I learned that lesson, but I'm also an eternal optimist. Well, I think it's important. I, I talk to my daughter about this all the time. You know, she's in camp right now and she's not fully enjoying the camp, although she's hating it less the first day like <laughs> dropping her off was brutal i finally had to walk away from her while she was crying Ugh. but you have to do that with kids every now and yeah then, you know yeah. it's like it's it's a horrible thing to do as a parent you know and then uh yesterday you know was like i had to kind of push her into the assembly i'm like they're you know go do the thing they're all on stage you know doing like a little yoga circle um so she did it but reluctantly and then today she just kind of walked away, not didn't run, but she walked, you know, calmly. And then when she got closer to the kids, she kind of skipped and hopped and showed some interest in what was going on. And, yes. And I was like, wow, you know, like it's okay. You know, it's like, she's doing it. But anyway, I told her, I said, you know, even if you don't make any friends, she was like, I don't make any friends, I don't have any friends, whatever. Mm. Um, I said, you know, if, even if you don't enjoy the camp, try to gain something from the experience, like practice introducing yourself to people or, yeah. You know, l learn a skill, even if the skill is just how to meet people. Yes. And so hopefully, you know, she'll get that out of it. And that's why I take her on these trips. I introduce her to all these different kinds of people because her mom takes her, her mom is very family oriented because okay. her mom comes from a big family. I am not family oriented. I come from a small family and honestly, I don't have great relationships with most of them. Um, my sort of my mother's brother and his kids, I'm tight with them. But the rest of my family, I just have one calamitous problem with or another. So I just stay away from them. So her mom takes her to visit family. So she goes on like the same trips every year with her mom. Mm -hmm. And with mm -hmm. me, I take her somewhere completely different. Yes. I introduce her to people from my world. Some of yeah. them she meets more than once, but you know, a lot of people she doesn't. And she kind of has to figure that out. And and even though she doesn't seem to do it very uh gracefully when it's happening when she comes back from those events she's this changed person and her teachers will remark she's like oh she was so much more outgoing after christmas i was right. like well i think that's partly because i dragged her around and made her meet people and yes she accidentally learned how to do it you know <laughs> yeah like she yeah, despite yeah. herself yeah so um so that's to me is like a a learning from failure yes I guess now in thinking in, in context and things like that, there are for sure teaching experiences that I've had that I walk out of the workshop thinking I could have done so much better than than what I presented. Yeah. Even though the students may not know it, um, you know, being our own harshest critic yeah. is, is, is always a, a learning opportunity. I think part of becoming better at what you do is feeling that way more often. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, as a comedian, if I'm even going to call myself that, the more I do it, the more I feel like I failed up there. Yeah. You know, it's because I know when you haven't had anybody laugh and you get when they laugh at your first joke, I'll never forget that moment when I said something and they laughed and I remember smiling and nodding. I was like, wow, that's what that feels like. Yeah. You know? I mean, I've had people <laughs> laugh at dinner, you know, but not <laughs> not that raw like from scratch kind of thing right um and i remember when i used to perform in the beginning i i would think like no i did really well i had a really good set you know this and now i mean there were times when i knew i didn't but there were times when i maybe a medium 
I gave it a much higher mark than what it deserved. Okay. And and now the more I do it, and I'm still very much in the beginning phase, the more I do it, the less successful I feel every time. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. So with the exception of those shows in Hendersonville that undeniably rocked. Yes. But but when the headliner came on after me, the volume and the duration and the the main maintenance of that laughter was was so much higher, so hmm. much louder. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. I was like, ah, oh, that's what it is to headline. Yes. What a difference. Okay. Yeah. So that's cool, you know. Right. Um, so that's good that you have that, that you're like for sure. You know, I think if you didn't I think it's a, it sounds like a sign. And that would of be an egotistical asshole. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say asshole, but you might have some work to do. Yes, you yeah, know? true. I mean, it sounds like you're. Uh, I mean, you're someone who's comfortable with his hard work and accomplishments, mm-hmm. and um, but not so f- lost to his humility that you won't go study with someone like a deal like recognize that there are yes you know great teachers out there and and they deserve we deserve time with them for sure yeah very much so yeah so that's very cool so what's on tap for the rest of your trip to Asheville? Well, I'm going to uh, a comedy show tonight. Oh, yeah. That should be awesome. I hear uh, the host yes. is going to kill it. I, I, the host I'm really looking forward yeah. to, to yeah, check out. I mean, out. you know, he's it's his first time hosting, so <laughs> cool. it could go either way. Okay. But, Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's tonight. Tomorrow, I'm going to go find another yoga class to take because here in Asheville, I can be anonymous. In uh, Mallorca, in any city in Europe, it's literally impossible for me to be anonymous in a yoga studio really yes i mean it's possible in some smaller places but anywhere that i would go take a class not it's almost impossible for me not to be anonymous no no one knows who i am (laughs) (laughs) but i know that feeling because at the end of class people introduce me this is the guy who invented the eggs i'm like really yeah i was having such a nice time yes you know well usually at the end of the class because uh, i have a 20-year asana practice the teacher comes up and says you said you were new here, but you're clearly not new to yoga. Right. And uh, and and this experience. So tomorrow I hope to go take a yoga class. Tomorrow night, my mom and dad and I my, and Miriam will go out for dinner somewhere in town. Friday, my mom and dad used to run Celine and Company Catering in, oh. in Asheville. And so I miss my mom's cooking a lot. So we'll have dinner at home on Friday night. And Saturday, we're flying back to Mallorca. So just a couple wow. of days. Yesterday, we were up in, in uh, Flat Creek in the Shining Rock Wilderness, swimming in the river and, and going around Sam's Knob and this beautiful nature up there. So Are the kids here? The kids are not here. Our okay. kids are now 23 and 21. Wow. So they're not really kids anymore. Sam, the youngest, is uh, is doing karma yoga at uh, the Sunshine House, a Thai massage yoga retreat center in Greece. And Carolina is on holiday with her boyfriend right now in Spain. Wow. Yes. How is being a stepdad? Uh, pretty amazing. It, you know, you mentioned something way back when at minute number 37 or something <laughs> in, in this podcast that, uh, you, you took Sula to, uh, skinny dip falls. Skinny or dip falls. Like yeah. Um, because, uh, Miriam and the kids and they're, they're of German Swiss, uh, descent. They're very comfortable in their bodies. And, and I remember the first couple of times we went to our naked beach in Mallorca mm-hmm. and, you know, I, when it's just Miriam and I, it's easy. We take right. off all the clothes. And when the kids are there, I was like, 
oh my God, what's going on? What am I going to take off my clothes in front of in front of my my stepdaughter in front of Sam? Is going to see my penis? Oh my God, am I going to see her boobs? What's going right. on here? And we get there, and they just take off their clothes, and and Miriam looks at me, and she's kind of wondering what's going to happen. I said, I took a breath, and I took it off, and voila, and and. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, Miriam was away and it was just Carolina and I at home and she's a 23 year old, gorgeous young woman. And I said, let's go to, to Estrenk, our, our favorite beach. And we get to the beach and we didn't even say a word. It was just assumed and flink off comes the clothes and we're there lying naked at the beach together. And she's my daughter and I'm, I'm her father. And, uh, and it, there was a little bit of like question in my mind well this is kind of a little bit strange but then it's become a lot more comfortable yeah and coming into their lives when i came into their lives carolina was 15 and sam was 13 uh was a very interesting time for a single male traveling yoga teacher to become a father of non-american non-native english-speaking children right and so the the learning curve was a little bit rocky, but now we are closer than ever. We, we really have a beautiful, loving relationship, the four of us together, and even each of the kids and I independently. I'm in touch with them independently. They get in touch with me with questions for advice and feedback. And with Sam as, as growing into a young man, I feel a, a really powerful position where I have now because he... Um, wants to make a life that is free from the standard education system, that is free from any kind of corporate job, you know, classical path. And, uh, and, and he looks to me for a lot of advice and, and insight on this. So I feel a lot of responsibility to, to motivate and support him in this way. And where's their dad? He is now outside of Cologne, Germany. Okay. And uh, when the separation happened, it was it was bad. It was really ugly. And um, I have met him twice for the kids' graduation events. Uh, we have zero relationship. Miriam has no relationship with him. The kids have started their own relationship with him, but they also realize that he is not an emotional support for them. And he's not really a a motivating man in their life, but he's their biological father. Right. So they are teaching him a lot. Because right. they are both kids are, are really full of love and they're clever and they're they're bright in this way and and they reach out to him when as often as they can as often as they feel like it and they realize that um, what's going to come back is some kind of criticism or nothing really affirming or or positive for them so they just reach out they keep a, a very surface contact with him and that's where it is. Cool. Yeah. Well, I ask because, you know, I mean, you know, my daughter's mom and I are separated and yes. her mom's in a new relationship. And yeah, so that's uh, that's challenging for all of us. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was just curious. I wanted to hear from a stepdad. Yeah. You know, I, when I, I came like. in, I, I'm, I'm a very sp- special kind of stepdad because I was literally traveling around the world with a guitar and a yoga mat. So it's not like a a typical kind of thing. But I was clear that I I didn't want to be the dad substitute. 
I wanted to relate to them like individuals and, and like humans and like young adults. And once we established that, um, then they started. I remember the first time Carolina came in and asked me if, uh, if, if she could go to the mall. And I looked at her and said, why are you asking me? And she said, well, you're kind of like the father figure around this house. I said, oh, yeah. When are you coming back, young lady? <laughs> <laughs> when you, what time are you going to be back? And uh, Who are and, you going with? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was those kind of things. And um, those were big steps. But it was not trying to be the dad substitute and relating to them like like individual people, which at age eight is a very different thing. I yeah. think it's for for maybe the the her mother's new boyfriend it will be more of a playful interactive kind of thing and he tries to win her heart and buy her ice cream and things like that um whereas w when i came in with 15 and 13 it was like oh my god you eat nutella every morning for breakfast and you have to do this and you have to do that let's get these kids in, in order which would be different i think with an eight-year-old yeah yeah well they have their work cut out for them yeah yeah okay. i mean that's uh it's not easy sula's you know I mean, she now talks about, remember when you and mommy used to live together? Like it, she can say it now without huge pain. Yeah. Like it used to be, there used to be more pain around it. She's, she's right. more, she's more acclimated to the fact that this is the way it is now. Um, but you know, she's really slow to warm up to this guy and, mm -hmm. and he's a nice guy. I met with him, um, you know, and, uh, he's, he couldn't be more different from me okay you know i mean it's i remember when i i was texting georgia afterwards she's like you know thanks for meeting with him and thanks for being so nice to him i'm like what did you think i was gonna be like <laughs> you know i wasn't knock i was never knock it was a little rocky like the whole thing was awful okay um i will not go into detail but it was a truly awful like as bad as it could have almost as bad as it could have been mm -hmm. um but finally we got through all that and, and, uh, you know, so when I finally met with him, I think she was nervous that I was going to somehow be mean or rude or, yeah, you know, but yeah. I wasn't, I was like, there's, there's no part of me that wants to super, you know, make it awful. Yes. Um, and so, uh, when I, when I said to her, I was like, I said, he's a hundred and I said, he's a thousand degrees different from me. Right. No wonder you like him, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I, cause our, you know, she and I were we get along well and there's some, you know, some genuine fondness there, but we're yes. just, we were never a, a match. Yeah. Okay. And so, uh, I think, Except you to know, give life to Sula. You know, we, this was we, a, there was, this there was a, was a huge purpose for our coming yeah. together, but just in terms of us as, as individuals, right. You know, okay. I think she would say the same thing. And, um, I know she has said it, but those are in moments of heat. I think even in a cooler moment, I think she would she would still feel that way. I mean, I, I could say guy's... I could say the same also with uh, the Austrian father of of my current kill of, of my kids mm. now. You know, he's he's not a match for Miriam. No, yeah. not on the least bit. Yeah, a, a thousand degrees in the opposite direction. Well, I I think in this case, you know. You and I have more in common, <laughs> and those guys probably have more in common, okay, you know. Okay. <laughs> so, like, they each went 180 degrees, but in the opposite direction, yeah, yeah, okay. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, very funny. So, uh -huh. cool, man. Well, this has been so great, and I'm really glad that we decided to spend this time together in this way. 
because I think we probably went a lot of places we wouldn't have bothered, you know. True. Um, and it's really cool, and and uh, it's neat to learn about your life. It's impressive, and but also like the fact that you met someone and kind of settled down and didn't stay on that road forever because mm -hmm. it's easy to do, you know. It can be a hard road to get off of. The traveling, the traveling single yogi guy. Like, no, I'm a traveling married yogi guy, which yeah, in some ways that, is a lot easier. Yeah, I no, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, yes. When I was with Georgia and I would go to the yoga conferences, mm -hmm. being in a committed relationship made it so much easier for me. Oh, I thank God every time you know? I'm in them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because I was never, I could be flirtatious, I could be like playful with people and even flirtatious, but never sexually charged right and so everyone felt really safe talking to me and mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. um you know now i'm available yes <laughs> so okay. it's like you know i'm a little more interested yeah some of the time yeah, i yeah. still try to keep it between the lines but i've started meeting people at these conferences who are yes. like you know i've i twice i've met someone who i felt like there was real potential and both times there weren't for different reasons okay um but you know what's nice is i can and this is a I don't know if it's a learning to fail, but um, one, this is new for me to frame things this way, but each time I meet someone and I feel like it could really be something, it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. I genuinely feel, well, I'm just that much closer to meeting the right person. Yeah. Whereas I didn't used to feel that way. Right. I used to just feel like, oh God, I'm never going to meet the right person. Yeah. But this time I can feel like each time I'm it's like I'm getting one quality that wasn't there. A lot of the qualities that were there. Next time I make the cookies, a little more chocolate chips, right. a little less flour kind of thing. Exactly, yes. yeah. Yes. Okay. yeah. So just going to just keep adding chocolate. And there you have it. Another bromance comes to an end. David and I are as different as we are alike. I really enjoyed spending a couple hours in his company, and I wish he still lived in Asheville. Actually, as long as we're wishing for things, I wish I lived on an island in Spain. If you like what you heard, please visit our website, use our Amazon portal, and rate us on iTunes. Make sure you tell your friends about Learning to Fail, and if you feel so inclined, please consider making a donation on our donation page. That way, we can keep failing worldwide. I just want to give a shout out to one of my favorite people on the planet, Louis Carlino, who wrote this song with me in Germany in 1996. Here come the fishmen sweeping up dead fish. I would wish them all away if I had just one wish. But you missed one, you idiot. You missed one, you idiot. You missed one, you idiot. And now I have to smell dead fish all day, you idiot, all day, you idiot, because you missed one, you idiot, and now I have to smell dead fish all day. Glad I'm not a fishman fishing with my net. How many dead fish died today? Come on now, place your bets. Because you missed one, you idiot. You missed one, you idiot. Ah, oh, you missed one, you idiot. 
And now I have to smell dead fish all day, you idiot, all day, you idiot, because you missed one, you idiot. And now I have to smell dead fish all day. Would that I were a fish man, fishing night and day. I would wear a rubber mac to protect myself from the acid rain. But you missed one, you idiot. You missed one, you idiot. You missed one, you idiot. And now I have to smell dead fish all day, you idiot, all day, you idiot, all day, you idiot. And now I have to smell dead fish all day, all day, all day, you idiot. And now I have to smell dead fish all day. Hey.